and he's really gone. Dig that crazy Santa Claus with his bag of toys. Drags his sack through a chimney stack. All the little hell cats jump the joy. So cool it, cool it, cool it. All right, welcome everybody to our holiday show for 2022. I uh, hope the we, we're having a, we're having a bit of a COVID surge here in LA mm-hmm. County, so um, it's not going to be quite as merry for us as I think it is for others. But uh, uh, hopefully, everybody out there is is making a good recovery and uh, and not getting sick and all the rest of that stuff. We 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 do have some unfortunate sad news at the top mm-hmm. of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've lost a few people, starting with Kirsty Alley, which I think yeah. was totally unforeseen recently diagnosed with colon cancer and then it just took her out really fast kind of like you know what Audrey was ridiculous Hepburn. about that to me I mean she died that's ridiculous but Kirstie was 71 I know in my so mind Kirstie was not she's, in my mind in my mind I thought we were around the same age for one thing she's 10 years yeah. older than me I'm 61 uh, so I some so somehow that because she was just sort of youthful, very youthful. And I of know. course, you know, when, when we run into her, I think who would who did she? Which Star Trek was she in? She played a two. She was Wrath of Khan. She was in Wrath of Khan, and people yeah. nobody was been talking. Everybody's talking about you know uh, you know uh, Cheers and you know, yeah stuff. No, she was Wrath of Khan, man. <laughs> that's my Kirstie Alley. Wow, but yeah, seventy one. Gosh, that's a, that's just it's it's hard. It, it it that that's a hard one for me because. Yeah. You know, Kirstie Alley doesn't isn't isn't like a generation should that should be passing away. No. I mean, Kirstie Alley, I watched not just on Star Trek, but on Cheers for years. I mean, Veronica's Closet is how so many people know her. But I mean, come on, she replaced Shelley Long on Cheers, and I still remember like it was yesterday that episode where they introduced Kirstie Alley, where she's the new manager, and you know, Sam has sold the bar and all that stuff, and uh, Sam and she walks out of the office just looking like a, you know a million bucks and sam they the way they worked up the joke was that sam was like oh yeah you know sam's ladies man he can take any of them and the, what are gonna be the first words out of sam's mouth oh i got and as soon as she walks out <laughs> sam looks at her and he goes um, and that was the joke he was speechless he just a mumble came out and it spoke to how exquisitely beautiful kirsty uh, Ali, yeah, was at the t- so you know, yeah, 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 all of that, and uh, uh oh well, that's uh, that's a bummer. that is what it is. That's a bummer. Yeah. Miles Lane, um, who you know, a lot of folks uh, will know um, uh, as as the uh, TV judge uh, guy, you know, on, yeah. But, but Miles, we were just talking about refereed that Tyson Holyfield fight where Crazy. Tyson bit off uh, Holyfield. That I mean, he was a real referee. That yeah. was his fight. <laughs> and, 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 and as we were prepping for the show, I teased you by saying, well, you know, Mike Tyson is officially the number two most <laughs> biting athlete in uh, in pro sports. And uh, you asked me, well, who's number one? Well, I same for the know. show. <laughs> number one would be, say, see, I'm in World Cup mode right now. That's why award yeah. season has been so rough for me because the, the World Cup is in, uh, is in Qatar. And because it's so hot in Qatar, they couldn't play during the summer. So they moved it into the, basically our uh, fall and winter and here we are you know i'm i'm like watching movies in the world cup at the same time getting up at two in the morning and i'm getting no sleep it's ridiculous but um no the all-time bitingest athlete would be uh the star uruguayan player who was just eliminated (laughs) uruguay just got kicked out luis suarez luis suarez has has bit opposing players three times in his career 
You, and you, it, it, you know what? I, t- I said I did not know that. I think yeah. I might have known that. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I don't know why. And it's weird. It would be weird if it were once. It would be really, really strange and problematic and probably cause for therapy if he had done it twice. But three times? Yeah, dude. And, and I remember one of them was in a World Cup game, I don't know, eight years ago, probably. And I remember watching that game and watching and live on television as Suarez is, is bodying up to another player off the ball. And he just leans over and he bites the guy on the shoulder yeah, just right there in the field. And, and I remember thinking, what? what? Are you kidding me? And I think that was the second time. And then the announcers came in and, and he got carded for the whole thing. And the announcers came in and said, wow, that's weird. He did that once previously. And I, I remember thinking he did Pro- really. And then somehow he did it again. <laughs> so, how, 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 do you, how do you know what card to give a guy for doing that? I mean, you know, I mean, I guess know, it's a yellow card, but, but I guess they're all yellow. But, but still, yeah. it could be a special card. FIFA, FIFA, there, there, there's a latitude on cards. Like referees are allowed to give warnings early in the game and so forth. But there are certain things like, you know, if you if, if you are putting another player's um, safety at risk, it's an automatic yellow. Yeah, and, and 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 for some reason, another automatic yellow is taking your shirt off during the game. Even yeah, I noticed that, that happened. That happened. Uh, who was that? Was that the Cameroonian? It, it was the. I think it was. I think it was the Cameroonian player. Yeah, who 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 scored the winning goal against Brazil yeah. in their in their final group stage. And I mean, it's like, come on, let the guy celebrate. Plus, you know what? He's got a great body. So let, all of these let, guys let, let the man. Let the man show off to the world. He just scored a goal against Brazil and they beat Brazil. Are you kidding me? Let the man celebrate. Let him show off what he's got. Soccer, football, football, soccer is one of the few sports where I I never get angry when anybody takes their shirt off. Male, female, the men, the women, everybody. It's just all great. Soccer and a uh, beach volleyball. volleyball. And, and, it was, and it was funny about that because the, the ref, clearly, he was laughing. He, he, you could see him talking to the guy at the end. He, he's like, I'm sorry, man. I got to do it. Yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. rules. You know, you know how it is. You know, you got and he was okay with it. He was okay with it. <laughs> oh, my God. Very strange. Uh, anyway. Lastly, uh, uh, not movies, but Bob McGrath. Long, long, oh, long. Oh, man. Uh, I think that one of the last too. of the original Sesame Street uh, cast. Yeah. Uh, 90 years old. Long, long life. Nice, long, yeah. long life, Bob. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he would have been one of the ones who was there when I was actually a child. Uh, Look, I, as I have mentioned on the show before, I, I grew up and went to school with Holly Robinson, whose mm-hmm. dad was the original Gordon at that time. And, uh, you know, so that I was thinking of that when he passed, I was thinking, wow, he was, he was on the show with Holly's dad and, and a whole bunch of other people who aren't on the show and probably aren't around anymore. And, um, you know, that one, that one, that one stings because he was, I mean, you know, like Bob McGrath was the, the guy who sang all the songs. And he it was always, you know, he was a human. <laughs> he, was yeah. always, he didn't really care. He was a person. He was Bob yeah. uh, on the show. And uh, so, you know, among those human beings that w- w- were consistent across yeah. the, what is it, 60 years now? 60, oh, 50, man. It's, been, it's about 60 years. It's about 50. No, maybe, maybe when, when it starts, 60, I think it was 67, maybe when the show started. Right. So we're 55 years. Yeah, 55 man. years. Yeah, it's crazy. What a run. And it continues. Well, anyway, let's uh, let's get in. We got we got a lot of stuff, but we want to start the show by sharing an interview. We, we, uh, we had a great interview with Warren Pereira. 
And mm-hmm. Warren Pereira uh, made a documentary called Tiger 24, which is um, an amazing documentary. And, you know, most of the docs, like right now, we're in Alaska voting phase and, you know, uh, getting ready for that. And um, the the documentary competition has become so ferocious, so incredibly fierce. And it's just Netflix is throwing money at docs and HBO throws money at docs and National Geographic throws money at docs. And you have a lot of the, you know, BBC, you have these big operations and, and a lot of these are really slick and polished documentaries. Warren Pereira is a guy who basically had, he had a story to tell. He's from India originally. And it's the story of T twenty four, which is this tiger. You'll, will, you will, it'll all come out. But a, a tiger that has been subject to a very, very controversial sequence of events in India, and uh, they have tiger preserves in India. This is the mm-hmm. thing, you know, mm-hmm. where tigers are supposed to roam free and it's their habitat. But every once in a while, you got a place where the buffer zone between tiger habitat and human activity is not what it probably should be. And things go south and tigers get the, the, in this case, get the worst of it. So it's, um, this is an amazing documentary and Warren wrote it and produced it and directed it and edited and shot it and is the interviewer and he's on camera. I mean, it is a, it is a one person effort, uh, on a level that I haven't seen in a very, very long time. I think this is a superb documentary and compared to others where you have a factory that's, that's producing all of this stuff. Um, this is a, this is a labor of love. It's a tremendous documentary and I can't think of anything, anything or anyone who would have been more appropriate for a hopeful holiday season to sort of, you know, put that out there. Um, uh, Tim, any other thoughts before we, we uh, cut into the, uh, the interview with Warren? Well, it, it's, it's a controversial subject for sure. Uh, uh, ripe for all kinds of conversation. Do you understand there's, there's some very difficult images, uh, in this, in, in, in this film? Uh, I want you to see the film for sure, but there's some difficult images in the film. These tigers have attacked, in some cases, humans. Uh, but it's all contextualized and it's very, very meticulously constructed. And Warren's going to talk about that in the interview. Uh, but you know, uh, know, know that, uh, when you engage the action. Indeed. Film. And, and as, as we mentioned in the interview, which we did a few days ago, it's, uh, you know, the, the film is out on VOD now. So you can go check out uh, Tiger 24 on VOD. And in January, we'll be coming to Blu-ray, and we will be talking about it again at that time. So without further ado, here is our interview with Warren Pereira. We are so proud for this holiday podcast to be able to talk to Warren Pereira of Tiger 24, an amazing documentary which uh, is out uh, on VOD on December 6th and uh, will be coming out on uh, MOD, Manufacture on Demand Blu-ray, at the end of January. Tim and I reviewed this Mm. film on Film Week and we're so thrilled that it's coming to VOD so that now more people can see it. It's really an amazing film. Warren, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really glad to be here and glad you guys like the film. We love it. And, uh, and we're going to be championing it around town. We've already done so over at LAFCA and the uh, Critics' Choice Association. Oh, uh, we're in there punching <laughs> for you, brother. Uh, it's an extraordinary film that, like so many documentaries, began as a completely different film. Um, right. it, 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 that's, this just happens all the time. We find, I think Wade might agree with docs. People go out, they got the camera, going to make a documentary. They know exactly what they're making their documentary about and boom, different documentary. Uh, and, right. uh, something like that happened to you, man. Uh, tell, tell the folks what went down. 
Well, the, the thing is, I was trying to get a narrative film going here in L.A., and I couldn't get it going. It's so difficult to get it going because, you know, ideally you need a star attached and all these things. And so I'm from India. My brother was, was marrying this Punjabi girl, and so this elaborate wedding, and I just decided to film it on a 5D, which was this camera at the time. Um, and then I went to a tiger reserve, and I filmed some tigers in central India, and I thought, oh, I'm just going to make a tiger doc. And so I started going around to different tiger reserves you know, Pench, Ranthambor, Kanha, et cetera, looking for a subject. But I was told to follow a female with cubs because they show the more, the more behavior, the hunting, the, the, you know, mom and the cubs. And, and the territory is smaller because, you know, finding the animal is the, part of the challenge. But then I saw this young male, T24, in May 2012. And, he, and that's the shot in the water when he's looking right at me. And I was like, who's this guy? And they were like, well, you know, we think he's killed some people and he's a male and he's dominant male. He's, he's his territory. So don't follow him. And I was like, well, it's my time, you know, my money. I'm just, let's just follow him. And so I just thought I was going to follow him with, with really no good reason. This is really not so, something I recommend. It's not a good producer mentality just to like not know why you're following an animal besides liking him. And then in between my safaris, there was these rumors that he'd kill people. And it turned out that maybe it was true. And then after the alleged fourth killing, he became what he became, a, a national sensation. You know, high court, Supreme Court, the government versus activists, billboards being erected. And, and that's when I was like, you know, hey, I'm the only guy with all this professional footage of this animal. And now I have to really do a documentary. I had no idea it would take this long and cost this much, but it's just, you know, I had to do it right and edit and re-edit and get every interview. And um, that's, that's, that's what it is. That's the story of, of Tiger 24. Now, now, you know, most documentaries today have become kind of a, I mean, the higher tier documentaries, especially at Netflix and well, have become kind of a factory output. You got your, your producing staff and you got your director and you got somebody else writing it and, They'll bring on an editor at a certain point. Mm. You did this thing as a one-man band. I mean, you are you are the narrator. You are occasionally on camera talking to people. Mm -hmm. You produced it. You directed it. You you wrote the parts of it th that are narrated. You you as as far as I understand, you're the cameraman through this whole thing, and you cut it. You uh, are you uh, uh, are you quite okay today? <laughs> well, I mean, it did take a lot out of me. I mean, you should you should have, you know if you see me if you look at the you can actually document the aging process when you look at me in the film. You know, <laughs> um, but you know, it, it, some of it was just I just knew from a money perspective, you know, to to get a celebrity VO, you know, or to have someone presenting or to get a big DP to film it. It would just I couldn't afford that. But I had a lot of people helping me, just a lot of consultants and there were there were a couple camera operators obviously for the interviews and the b-roll and so um definitely there's people who helped me and, and you know, to get it going and obviously the score and everything but um yeah i mean i i i'm definitely not going to cut one again but i'm glad i cut this one because it, it, the you know the craft of editing which i knew now i really know uh and and just you know going through making those choices going through the cut points etc and, and also you know, it's, it's a very sensitive piece. We're dealing with people's lives here and families that have lost loved ones to this tiger. And so for that other reason, I was very possessive about the footage, about how to present it, knowing what they want in the documentary, what they don't want. 
you know, as we've talked about, there's some mutilated bodies. So how much of that do we show? How much do we not show? And so for all those reasons, and because I'm a control freak, you know, um, it, I did, I did what I had to do. The, um, there's a lot of opinion about, about the tiger, the government, the people in the park, you you as a filmmaker, particularly a documentarian had to stand aside from that and then figure out how to balance all of these feelings about the tiger and what has happened in the film, which you do very, very nicely. You know, there's um, what, 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 what were your actual feelings about the situation? You, uh, Warren, not, not, not documentarian director Warren, but you, what were you thinking as, as you were making this film? When, when I heard about the fourth attack and that he'd been removed, the, the field director of Rontambore, he let me know because he felt bad for me because he knew I was filming this animal. So he felt like I'm removing your animal mid-production. And I felt upset in the beginning. And I was confused because all the, the news said it was this other tiger, Sultan, his son, who had killed this man. <laughs> but then I was presented with this video and it, it looked like T24. I mean, I identified him. So I, I felt much like a lot of the activists initially, very upset. Uh, but then later on, you know, when I talked to the government and listened to them and, you know, and I know all these people because I've interviewed them, you know, they're kind of <laughs> activists with responsibility, right? Because they're running, they're running that national park. And so th- then I kind of, then the logic starts to come in and you have, you're like, okay, you can't, just ideally, like, just like life, you can't get everything you want. It's always some level of a compromise. And so I started to understand, you know, their perspective as well. So, and then also, um, you know, you, when you go through this, this, this documentary first, you're like, what am I doing here? You know, I just want to get some great shots and this is going to be great. And you, it's kind of vain, but then later on you realize this project's a lot bigger than you. Cause I was looking at the wildlife protection act of India and like, you know, looking at section 12 and 19 and be like, oh, this is something actually meaningful. So I better do this right. And so I felt that sense that I'm doing something important. Um, and then, of course, you know, that goes up and down. You go back to like, well, <laughs> I still have to make a great film. It's got to be engaging. And so, yeah, it was, it was all over the place. But um, of course, I felt bad for the tiger. I still I feel bad for him now. I mean, I get I haven't I have an update from him from a couple of days ago. And, and, you know, he's not doing great in there. His his. Um, well, a lot of people watch the movie. There's something. There's a new ending which says his latest, his latest condition. You know, yeah. It's it's. I mean, that that's kind of amazing that it's still it's still a film in flux given real life circumstances. Yeah. And I mean, this is, you know, you you chose um, a topic with with which I think people outside of India are just not at all familiar, which is tiger conservation and how it's how it's organized and how these res- preserves are, are are structured and in this one in particular that very very tenuous interface between human beings and the preserve which is you know because of the shrine because of all of these other mitigating factors it's 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 so interesting and you know for americans conservation is like oh my goodness somebody was camping in yosemite and uh and a bear you know ate their food you, we just uh, unless you have a a mountain lion attack, which we sometimes have here in the area where we mm-hmm. live, mm-hmm. which is had one twenty two, yeah. It just it doesn't it, it it's something that doesn't register that you have this situation in the modern world where there is this very very dangerous interface between civilization and nature. Even in Africa, we don't hear those stories. So I mean, this really touches on something that I think is so fascinating and so misunderstood. And you make it very, very accessible and, and so that it doesn't feel like a parochial issue. 
was that ever a concern of yours thinking, you know, how is this going to travel outside of India? And did that factor into the filmmaking? Um, maybe later in the edit, but when, you know, when you're in it, you're just making it because you're in it and you're passionate about it. And, um, and I, I think though, you know, we, most of us love these large predators and, and we admire them. And, but I don't think we understand that they require massive amounts of inviolate territory. And without that territory, they're not going to survive. They're going to go extinct for the next generation. And the problem with that, whether whether you maybe maybe you don't even care about them, but let's say, you know, you do or you don't. When they go away, their territories go away. So that that habitat, that ecosystem, all the biodiversity within there also goes away. All the abilities to fight climate change also goes away. And I think that's why the tiger, because it's a beautiful animal, is, is a symbol for the health of that forest and then and in turn the health for the world. So I think if that message comes across, I think there'll be a, you know, like a, an ethical value in the movie for people watching it. Mm. So, 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 you know, obviously even here, as Wade says, just this whole issue of encroachment. Mm. Um, but the question is like, who's, who, who is encroaching on who? <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, the tiger, I'm just really literally at my house, <laughs> literally at my house. And then these people. So, so it's just about education. It's, it's, about, it's about defining what we mean about encroachment. Uh, because I ask myself, you know, could I possibly be eaten by a tiger? And generally speaking, the, I, I, no, no. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's not going to happen. If anybody tells me, you know, there are tigers around here, uh, uh, you don't want to go, hey, nope, thank you. <laughs> you know, if I see right. a sign, watch out for tigers, excellent signage, excellent signage. Right. And so I, so what's up with this in the people? Because I, I, I kind of feel like this is really mostly about what people are doing and not what tigers are doing. Well, what's up with it is if you and I were born in Old City, just outside Runthambore, right? And that's where we lived. And, and we don't have, you know, AMC to go watch a movie or, or whatever it is. Maybe you and I will be playing cricket in our backyard. And our backyard is, you know, half a mile from a tiger reserve. And maybe you and I have goats and we got to feed our goats some, some good leaves or some good grass and that it's not that great in the buffer, the non-existent buffer. So we, we're, we're going to go in and like nothing's happened for 100 days, 200 days, three years. And then five years later, you get killed or I get killed by a tiger. And, and, and we look like idiots, but it's a circumstance. You know, it's like it's not like they want to go in and, and break the, the, the law. It's just more that villagers over there who have a much tinier carbon footprint than we'll you know ever have they're the ones that are living just outside the critical tiger habitat and they don't have the money or the resources to be able to sustain themselves without to a certain degree breaking the law and so it's an imperfect situation that that we're managing we're managing wildlife like we pretty much are across the world and although it's you know i'm critical of it we got to remember that India is doing a better job of tiger conservation than any other country in the world with all these issues. So it should improve. But right now, they're still the best in the world. Excellent points, Warren. Excellent points. You know, there's a there's a there are some very colorful figures that you interview in here, too. And one of them, uh, the a, a certain expert whose name uh, is escaping me, but he has a, an amazing quote that made me laugh. I watched the film twice and I laugh both times <laughs> where he says something, uh, something, something, something baboos. And yeah. and he's he's ridiculing the sort of the, the bureaucracy that just right. does not understand all of this. And right. 
Um, I, I, I want, you know, it seems to me, yes, Tim's right. You know, it's about, it's more about what people are doing than what, what tigers are doing. But on a certain level, it also seems like it's what pol- politicians are doing. And- yeah. Yeah. You're talking about Val McTupper, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. And so, yeah, and actually in the extras, and I think in the Blu-ray extra, I, I, his entire interviews there, if you ever want, if you ever want to watch it, I'll get you a copy. So he was amazing. Um, yeah, I think the bureaucracy is a problem. He's been trying to get, you know, changes there for years. And it, it is a big battle between the, the state government and the central government, because the central government, it was the NTC, has the, these demarcations of the core and the buffer, etc. And they're, all, they're ideal. And, and ideally, we'd like to apply them. But the state has to deal with the reality in each tiger reserve. And it's a little bit different, you know, depending on the habitat, the number of villages, Etc. And so, yeah, there absolutely is. And then just like any developing nation, India, the, the people still want buildings and electricity and a growing middle class. And so they're they're encroaching. And even some of the activists that want these things to be ideal, it's competing against their material desires. So it's a complex situation. It's it's easy to you know get on on social media and say how you feel, but and to actually take all those actions, it's much more difficult. And hopefully, the film kind of shows that complexity. Hmm. And, and and you had indicated too, I think that that a lot of things have transpired. I mean, T twenty four wound up on the cover of a magazine, on billboards, uh, all while these court cases are proceeding. Hmm. Um, I mean, this is in a, in a country of over a billion people. That's a, that's a pretty major thing. So where. Where are without sort of giving away anything in the film? Where uh, where do things stand at the present? Is is this still proceeding through the courts? What's happening? It's no longer in the courts. Uh, that drama is over. The tiger is still alive. He's in he's in he's in the zoo and you know in captivity. The, the they're doing their best they can in a captive environment. But I don't think he's happy there because he's a wild animal. But the uh, the zoo uh, government officials are doing their best. Um, and yeah, as far as the activism, largely it's, it's died down, but now that the film's coming out and, I've, and I'm potentially doing a theatrical in India in uh, February, I think it's going to reignite the topic. Uh, and I definitely want to show it in theaters over there because it's an ultimately an Indian story. Mm. It, yeah. it, you, 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 the film, uh, you, you're not getting pushback from, from any sides, right? It, 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 it feels like it's being embraced uh, by everybody. Um, well, we'll see. <laughs> I mean, you know, whenever I, when I, for example, when I put out the poster art and it said Tiger 24, the making of a man eater, which was this line I came up with because it's a, there's a duality to the line, you know, whether he actually was made one since you guys have seen the film or, you know, or he was called one. I, I did get some activists saying, you know, why did you say man eater? He's not a man eater. So there is that emotional side to it. And I, and I don't mind. You know, I mean, I, I think that it, it's engaging with people and whatever it takes to get this, this you know, somewhat academic uh, conservation message through in an entertaining format. Uh, b- b- before we started talking, before we we we, we kind of got uh, behind the curtain a little bit and talked about Netflix and what they're doing and and in, in this kind of business, walk us through that a little bit. So you know, you 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 make this film and then and and and, and then you got to get it out there in the world. And obviously, Netflix. What happened? Did you find a distributor? How how did you get to where we are today? Yeah, I have a distributor. They're Elevation Pictures, um, and what I liked about the reason I signed with them is is because they liked the film and they gave me what's called final cut rights, 
a lot of distributors will not give you that because they want to recut the film for TV or something else. And, 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 I'm, and I'm sure that's fine with a lot of filmmakers and films. With me, it's I'd rather die than have anyone recut my movie. OK, so that's why I, I took I, I signed with them primarily. And they're a great distributor and they're the ones putting it out. As far as Netflix, they've actually been the most interested. Um, you know, they actually uh, had come by my edit bay years ago when it was like a hot topic and we're still talking to them and it might be there potentially on um, what they call the second windows for streaming. But the first uh, window is going to be the VOD and the Blu-ray. As far as international distribution, um, I have some offers I'm not going to name, but again, it's all these offers with like, we have to be able to recut it for TV, you know? And I'm, and I, and I, and I, first of all, I don't want to recut it again because I've cut this thing like a hundred times or more. And secondly, like at this point, it's like, you know, everyone told me 90 minutes is the ideal runtime. It's got to be nine because I had a longer cut that I thought was great. So I said, I made it exactly 90 minutes. It's, it's, and now they're still saying we may need a 60 or a 48 or a 72. And I'm just like, screw that. I'm not doing that. You know, and I'm certainly not allowing somebody who knows way less about filmmaking or this topic to like recut my movie. So, so yeah, so I'm kind of holding myself back from international distribution, but if an international distributor comes by and they like the cut the way it is and they're not going to mess with it, um, you know, beyond obviously language stuff or, you know, commercial breaks or whatever, I just don't want any part of my film removed or <laughs> reorganized or anything, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I can see how that's particularly true uh, with a film like this because you've already had to think about that very, very carefully, as you noted, you exactly what you were, you were going to leave in the film. If you already thought about it, you've already thought about it. I've thought about it completely. I've thought about even the moral side of it, because like I said, these families are trusting me with showing their father mutilated after attack attack or their son. I've thought about it with this, with this, the guy who made, you know, did the score Krang, who's amazing. I've thought about it with every cut point after I, I, after I finish a cut, I rewatch the movie like a silent film to see that the cuts are working. You know, now, is anyone else going to do that when they recut it for TV? I, I don't think so. Not at this level, you know? And so, <laughs> so I, and, and, I, and I don't think, and I think the film, I'm, I'm new enough of a filmmaker and the film's new enough that it's not like you're going to watch this movie and be like, yeah, I like this one sequence in Ghostbusters. So I know it's on TV and I know that it's been caught horribly, but I know I like this section. So I'm going to wait for that. Whereas this one, I think you need to watch every, everything. I mean, like you guys know the, the third attack with that, with the body being pulled out with the, the Jeeps coming in. And that's like one like long take and like that should just be playing in real time. And, and so for me, uh, you know, cinematically and, and morally, it's important to, like, leave it the way it is. You know? Well, Warren, thank you so much for speaking with us today. This is this has been a privilege. We wish you all the best. Um, we have once again been speaking with Warren Pereira, the producer, writer, director, cinematographer, <laughs> narrator, editor, uh, one man band of this uh, this incredible documentary, Tiger oh. 24. And, um, you know, please keep in touch with us and let us know what happens both with the documentary and the tiger and mm. your career as well. Mm. Um, we are really, really pulling for you. It is uh, it is a crowd as we were talking before the show. You know, it is a really, really crowded landscape for documentaries mm. and uh a lot of a lot of people throwing a lot of money at a lot of documentaries, and they just aren't passion projects. You know what we 
what you've done is is really something uh, that feels like it comes from the heart and comes from a very personal place. And I think, uh, you know, we and others have responded to it and others will as well. Mm. So thank deep, you. Deep thanks for that. Um, any any anything final on the film that, uh, you know, we didn't touch on that uh, people should know? Uh, just, you know, it's coming out in, in North America next week, December 6th, the big day. And, and uh, I hope people, you know, enjoy it and, and watch it and, uh, you know, message me about it. I'll respond. Awesome. Thank you, Warren. Yeah. Thank you, Warren. Thank you. Thanks to both of you. Thank you so much. Thank right. you. Thank you. And there it is. So uh, Tiger 24, check it out on um on VOD right now, and uh, boy, what a what a film! I mean, have you have you watched it again by any chance, Tim? Uh, yeah, because you know, I, I want I wanted to sort of contextualize it with some of the other films that we're looking at, and it's you know, it's 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 right there on, at, at at the top of my list of films that we'll be yeah. talking about that I'll be that I'll be pushing. Yeah, uh, same here. Same here. Well, let's let's start off with some of our uh, our boxed set stuff. Uh, we got we got some really great TV box sets and uh, some 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 real biggies. First up, you know, the complete Blu-ray of the Six Million Dollar Man. <laughs> I mean, come on, give some some, some love for, for for Steve Austin there, yeah. Tim. I mean, I I assume we both watched that show like religiously in the early days. It and of course it's spin off yeah. the, the extraordinary Lance Wagner woman. and the okay. Bionic Woman, but the six million dollar man, absolutely. Uh, uh, today, uh, I think all that business would be about six billion dollars. <laughs> it's amazing how much money six million dollars seemed like in nineteen seventy. What seventy three? And, and, and you know they've been trying to do started. the Mark Wal. They've been trying to do the Mark Wahlberg six billion dollar man movie for the longest time. I mean that's that's yeah. well over a decade. I, I don't. It's like I mean what what. What's the? This is a no-brainer, man. Just do it. <laughs> it keeps good. The cost keeps going on. This was just really a, a groundbreaking show uh, at, at the time. And what's fun is watching it today. How when you realize mostly the way they pulled this off was they cranked up, uh, you know, the, the, the speed. You know, they, they slowed him down. You know, slow mo. And then they added that very particular special effect that we know when he, whenever he would do something bionic, you know, that the, the sound effect, the thing. And the combination of that sound effect and just, and just, you know, cranking the camera up to 120 frames per second. So that he's moving slower. That was it, baby. That's all you needed to I sell know. Know. any given moment in that show uh, when he would be throwing some styrofoam, refrigerator <laughs> across i think it's all you needed uh, it, I'll, today I'll, that would cost you they they use some kind of special effect that use some kind of computer generated special effect and you wouldn't believe it and and uh they do some sort of stupid explosion and and no not not in a million years well, it, it, this is loaded with extras. It is absolutely great. They did a wonderful job on the Blu-ray restoration. They include the original three pilot films in their original broadcast and syndication versions. Now, I just want to say I didn't realize there were three original films. I always thought there was just the one, hmm. which didn't have all those effects, by the way. And it had Martin Balsam playing yeah. uh, Rudy, you know, so so there were there were all kinds of I, there. So it, it adds that and it's got the reunion films. <laughs> uh, which are absolutely terrific. Um, audio commentaries, the original DVD, you know, new audio commentaries as well as the original DVD audio commentaries. I mean, um, it's got and it's got all the crossover Bionic Woman stuff. You know, um, if you're worried that the Bigfoot and the Fembot episodes uh, might might just no, the Bionic Woman episodes that you need the crossover stuff so that you yeah. complete all of that and John Hausman and his Fembots. 
I love that when they would yeah, like knock the knock the face off the fembot. Ah. Like it's got to be like ten of those or so that. Oh, that, so that good. And and of course, Farrah Fawcett shows up in four or five episodes of uh, of uh, of uh, the, uh, the Six Million Dollar Man, and and if particularly when you're watching it, you know if you you know watching TV as long as we have, there are all kinds of really great folks that pop up. Stephanie Powers yeah. shows up in an yeah. episode or two. The, the Bigfoot uh, stuff. Del- Stephanie Powers. The Bigfoot stuff is yeah. always, always said. John Delance said he would he would play. Um, he would go on to play Q in the yeah. in the next yeah. gen for years. Right. He's he's in a couple of epi- all kinds of people like that. I have a lot of fun uh, watching shows like that and just looking at the screen and seeing you know uh, Carl Weathers. So good, <laughs> you I know, know. So Carl good. Weathers. <laughs> in an episode of the Bionic Man is fantastic. And I remember, and, and I love the whole uh, you know there was another Bionic Man the uh, the 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 auto auto the race car driver guy who got two Bionic arms. And I remember that great episode where he and Steve are having the they're yeah. having the uh, the arm wrestling uh, and they and they shatter the table and he beats Steve Austin. You're like whoa! <laughs> they gave him better arms. It was great. What a great show. <laughs> Great show, the Mars Explorer thing that comes back down. Oh, that's so many great episodes. Uh, we also have, you can get the complete Alfred Hitchcock Presents now, finally, all uh, five seasons. And uh, this has been a little bit tricky over the years. You know, they've, they've, they've released some seasons and then not others. And anyway, it's all out there finally from Universal, the complete uh, five season set. And it's it's not on Blu-ray; it's on DVD. But it's it's fair enough. It's probably the best you're going to get for a while. Um, really, probably I, I would say you know, obviously Twilight Zone is the all-time top anthology series. But mm-hmm. you know, as to what comes in at number two, I don't know. There's the Outer Limits. There's Alfred Hitchcock Presents. I think it's in the running for number two. Oh yeah, Night Gallery. Uh, and and frankly, it precedes all of them because this was like the late fifties, right? Fifty-five to the early sixties. Yeah, it's all it's. Of them? I think Twilight Zone was first and Hitchcock Presents came after, but I could oh. be wrong on that. I'd have to oh, double yeah, check yeah, the date. Interesting, yeah. interesting. Yeah, but it's right up there. Uh, <laughs> we also have the uh, the complete series of Charmed, the new Charmed. <laughs> the new, new Charmed. Which is a series that, like, look, you know me, I'm ridiculous about <laughs> all of the, that old Charmed and all of this, And I've been ridiculous about this one too. I just love the show. The Four seasons. Four seasons. Four seasons. It did, it did, seasons. It did, it did, it did real good. Um, yep. uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, I thought it was well done. It lives right in the exact same space as the other original series from the 90s. Uh, you know, what our sisters, the charmed ones and all the mystical, magical, ding baddy stuff in their love lives yep. and running around and all that kind of stuff. You know, with a, with, a, with a little bit better special effects and I thoroughly enjoyed Charmed. Anything good? Uh, no, just some behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. It's fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, the, the, uh, we also have, uh, so it gets very interesting here now with the Arrowverse. Uh, I, I have a little bit of a bone to pick. So mm-hmm. if I'm an Arrowverse fan, I want all these things to live on my shelf in the same space, right? I want my complete Arrow set next to my complete Supergirl set next to my complete Legends of Tomorrow set next to eventually the complete Flash set, which they really need to start wrapping up soon. So, but but the box set for the complete Supergirl and the box set for the complete Legends of Tomorrow, they're totally different shapes and sizes. I mean, different, same shape, but different sizes. Mm. Like, I'm going to show you on the camera here. Can you see this? Look, okay. How do you make Supergirl taller than Legends? Now this is... (laughs) It's like yeah. weird. And Supergirl is in a single case, uh, right? It's uh, a single keep case, a, a multi-disc case, um, the complete series, whereas Legends, they're all individual yeah. Blu-ray cases. So yeah. I, I don't know what's going on there from a packaging standpoint, um, They, but they need to work that out. That's just not cool. That said, 
how do we how do we legends tomorrow just went on way too long and we've talked about this before had way too many characters coming in and out that revolving door it's like how many you know i can't i can't get attached to anybody because like now hawkman is gone and adam guy came in and then he's gone and then somebody else i can't keep track of him yeah it was that was just you know i mean i mean the actual guy the wave rider the captain of the wave where you know right whatever his name was he was yeah i'm like well how do you how do you get rid of the actual guy the show and then and it's all fine but it was just too much hell man i think i was i think i was casting that show for a season or two yeah (laughs) it just it was really really that that wacky Fun sometimes. I did watch the last uh, season or two, uh, you know, with them running yeah. around uh, on Earth in the 20s. And I, I, I did, too. And, and and my first thought was, is there anybody here who was on the show when it first started? I think Sarah I mean, is the only one. The only one. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and, and to just show you how much they care about all the characters that were on the show, what what character do they choose for for to put on the actual kit? <laughs> what the hell is that? Uh, it's it's like some it's some furry monster looking thing from, from the, I, I don't even know what episode. episode. I, don't I, I don't even know. But like that just that to, to me that's just that's just spitting in the face of all your actors saying yeah, yeah you know what we don't really think any of you are worth putting on the covers so we're gonna put that thing on the cover anyway. Uh, no, it's 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 otherwise good box sets, hours and hours and hours of featurettes and yeah. and you know gag reels and you know various things. I mean you know. Not my favorite Arrowverse show, but it uh, it certainly had had its moments. Uh, Supergirl was much more my speed. Uh, oh yeah! I, I, I in fact even even when I was very skeptical about getting rid of the miniskirt, I, I was I was cool with the way they redesigned the costume. I really <laughs> yeah, loved okay. it. Was okay. It was okay. Hey, look, Melissa Benoist, uh, just the best Supergirl, probably the only Supergirl, yeah. relatively speaking, since Helen. Uh, Helen, yeah. Slater, Helen yeah, Slater, exactly. Uh, who was exquisite, and of course Helen's in this show playing her mom, uh, and which is also which was also pretty pretty damn great. Uh, I, this show went through some cast changes as well. Obviously not Supergirl, but um, uh, you know different fellows coming and going and and, and stuff like that. Managed to yep. pull it off just fine. Maintained that that single dynamic. Supergirl, her big sister, John yeah. Jones, and John. you know. Uh, the, you know the John good. Johns, the John John stuff, the Manhunter from Mars. I thought was the the greatest introduction when that when that was revealed. I was like, yeah. all right, now you got me. Now now I'm in. I'm in totally. Yep, good show, and uh, it also includes just so everybody knows the the um, the five episode arc of Crisis on Infinite Earths, which wraps over to Arrow and Flash and Black Lightning, and it wraps through all of those shows and and you know Batwoman. It, it that whole arc is on here. So again, like with the six million dollar man, those crossovers. Don't worry about it. It's all here. It's on all on all on board. Yep. Also got the uh, complete Frasier, which is oh, yes. quite a thing. Uh, that's uh, that is eleven seasons, uh, which I think is more than Cheers, uh, which is kind of amazing for a Cheers spinoff. But yeah. uh, you know what? They're bringing Frasier back, so maybe it's a good time to to catch up on this. If you want to binge all eleven seasons, uh, it's going to take yeah. you a minute. Um, Thirty three discs. My uh, goodness, hell of yeah. a spinoff! Hell of a spinoff! Hell of a spinoff! You know, I it's mean, it's it, only it's a it's it was a, it was a good show. They only have a couple of commentaries here, um, but otherwise, there a lot of really interesting stuff. Good, you know, interviews and and uh, behind the scenes stuff. Um, really gives you a great sense of how the show was put together and how sitcoms put together generally. So it's a it's a really really nice set. Great great gift for somebody who you know 
can't get enough of their Kelsey grammar. Yeah. Um, let's see when, and then we've also got, let me, let me go grab some of the, uh, the, the, the movie box sets, because I think that's where, uh, that's, that's some really good stuff there. We've got, um, the, the universal monster classic monsters collection on 4k. Well, that's uh, great. But as soon as you can, just get to that Sonny Chiba situation. Yeah, let me, let me, let me go grab the Sonny Chiba. <laughs> we'll, start, fact, we'll start with the Universal. While I'm grabbing it, you know, while I'm grabbing it, talk talk about Sonny Chiba and why Sonny Chiba is so meaningful. Well, I'm sitting here. I'm sitting here thinking about man. Come on now, let's, let's, let's get to the Sunny. Let's get to the Sunny Chiba set. First of all, Sunny had a, has had a really really long career. Sunny Chiba. Sunny Chiba is in Kill Bill movies, man. Uh, and, and, and Sonny, uh, I think he just passed in what, maybe, maybe during COVID. He's the exact same age as my dad, born in 1939. Yeah, died in 1920, in, in 2021, uh, very recently here. And, and Sonny is just a legend, uh, in, in, in martial arts. And, uh, I, I can't wait to see which movies, how far we're going to go back, uh, uh, in that set. Hopefully to some of those fantastic Yakuza films. Uh, or, or films like The Soul of Sonny Chiba. I hope so, that's in there. So uh, here's here's what we got. Here's what we got on on the, uh, the Sonny Chiba set. My goodness, it's just it's tremendous. Yes, Yakuza Wolf, Yakuza Wolf yeah. Two. Um, uh, we've got the uh, the Bodyguard films. Uh, we've got uh, Shogun's Shadow, Samurai uh, Reincarnation. I mean, it's it's a it's a pretty great it's a pretty great set. It's a pretty great set. Sunny, sunny, does, it, does, mean, it, does it touch? Does it touch pretty much every decade, uh, uh, or at least the sixties? I think Sunny started in like in the late fifties. But it, like, this it, is this is mainly decade? it's seventies mainly seventies, and then dips into the eighties. Seventies and eighties. Okay. So seventies and eighties. So I mean, it's uh, you know one, two, three, four, five, six, seven films total, and uh, you know it's uh, it's 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 pretty fantastic. I mean, you're not. Um, you're not getting the complete career, but you're getting a, a wonderful, wonderful collection of some of his very, very best stuff, including, again, the Samurai and the Yakuza stuff, which uh, a lot of people stateside haven't seen. And this is from uh, this is from the, the Shout Select series. It's volume 141. So if you're if you're being a completist, you're definitely going to want to jump into this. But, yeah, I mean, Sonny Chiba is known, I think, to a certain generation just because Tarantino resurrected his career in the Kill Bill films. Right. Yeah. yeah. And which he also did with Gordon Liu and, you know, he, he David Carradine. He kind of went and, th- and threw a bunch of icons into those into those films or, in, you know, to to you know, put them on the radar. And now you you kind of owe it to Quentin to go back and rediscover. So, yeah, Sonny Chiba collection is pretty great. Fantastic. Uh, but yeah, the, the, uh, the 4k of the, uh, universal classic monsters, wonderful box set, the mummy bride of Frankenstein, Phantom of the opera creature from the black lagoon. Um, you know, to add these to your, uh, your other one, your, your previous 4k set that obviously had uh, Frankenstein and, uh, mm-hmm. and Dracula in it. Um, yeah, I mean, Preach these are all great. Preach Phantom from the black lagoon, often forgotten, uh, often amongst forgotten, those, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah. Phantom of the Opera kind of sometimes gets uh tossed alongside too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm glad that's uh, that's in here. But yeah, Bride of Frankenstein, you know, it's funny. She's hard they're, they're hard, the, for for a movie called The Bride of Frankenstein, she's kind of hardly in it, but yet she's the most dominating thing about it with that scream and the whole deal. Yeah. Didn't she didn't she die recently too? Did she? Oh man. I think oh, well, I think yeah. I I think I want to yeah, maybe I'm uh, Anyway, Anyway, great stuff. And then, 
working our way down here to the two biggies. We've also got the uh, complete uh, deluxe editions of all the Friday the 13th films. There's something you want for Christmas. Uh, this is a DVD boxed set. So, it'll, it, 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 you know, it's, I mean, it, obviously not the greatest thing for the holidays, but somebody out there is going to be really, really happy to get the uh, the complete Friday the 13th. The deluxe editions in a uh, in their stocking, if you can fit it. Uh, not my favorite films, but mm. you know, I mean, it's always a Halloween knockoff. But uh, somehow it it evolved a uh, a personality yeah. all of its own. So um, one of the great special features, you know, commentaries and behind the scenes featurettes and all that stuff. If you want to see every conceivable way that somebody can have their head cut off and you know prosthetic <laughs> effects, it's all on here. So here are the two biggies now, Tim. Mm. We have volume three of the Columbia Classics um, 4K Ultra HD collection, which has been really kind of interesting so far, the films that, they're, that they've been choosing. And these it's coming in the same packaging that it's come, the others have come in, that wonderful kind of butterfly uh, custom case with the, the booklet and, you know, the beautiful full-color booklet that slides yeah. nicely behind it. It is gorgeous. Um, and and once again, it's a case of, OK, you know, how are you picking these films? And I can look at this and I go, OK, yeah, totally got it. But what? There's always one on here. And and I, I kind of get it. You know, they start with It Happened One Night, which is great. That's a Columbia classic. That was the first film to win all top five awards. Right. Picture, director, mm-hmm. screenplay, actor, actress. OK. From Here to Eternity. Great. I get it. Another best picture winner. To Sir With Love. Sidney Poitier. Great. Awesome film. The Last Picture Show, great. Bogdanovich, I get it. It's it's another proud one. And as good as it gets, a little more recent. Fair enough. You know, Jack Nicholson, it won screenplay. I mean, it's a good, that's a good solid Columbia film from the recent period. And then Annie. Mm, now, no offense to Annie. Annie's a fine film. You know, uh, I think Carol Burnett's wonderful in it. I, you know, John, I mean, John Huston isn't really the ideal director for it, but it, it's fine. It's okay. Mm. But, I mean, there are a lot of great Columbia. I mean, why not Funny Girl? Mm. Why Annie and not Funny Girl? I don't understand. Yeah. Thoughts yeah. about Annie? Yeah, well, you know, yeah, you, you, I don't know. Yeah, I, it, it, that's a strange one in the context of the rest of the movies we just talked about. Yes. That happened when you feared it. Last picture show, last picture show, Annie, last picture show, Annie. <laughs> no, 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 I don't think so. Uh, as good as it gets, sure. Uh, it, it, more recent, uh, but last picture show, Annie. No, not that one. Yeah. Not in that yeah. One. yeah. Very, very odd. Anyway, uh, wonderful 4k transfers across the board, however, in, in every case and, uh, gobs and gobs and gobs of wonderful extras. It's crazy uh, price range. I see this thing for, I just happen yeah. to be looking at it. I, you know, I, I see it retailed in a couple of places, uh, trade posts in a couple of places, 163 bucks. But you know, diddling around Amazon, seventy-five, eighty, eighty-five bucks. So that's, that's which, which is about what it's. Yeah, and, and that's what you want to pay for it. I mean, especially yeah. if it's a gift. Yeah. Um, now the next set here, which I'm very fond of, but I do have one gripe about it. Uh, the next one is the Sony Pictures Classics thirty-year um, mm-hmm. anniversary set, which comes in this beautiful custom butterfly cube. It kind of butterflies open. It's wonderful. Things are not in sleeves like they are in the in the other set. They're in actual proper uh, Blu-ray keep cases. Um, all of them 4K. Fantastic transfers across the board. Um, a great set of films. I will read them, and then I will give you my bone to pick. Mm. Orlando 
The Celluloid Closet, City of Lost Children, SLC Punk, Run Lola Run, Crouching mm-hmm. Tiger, Hidden Dragon, The Devil's Backbone, Volver, the Almodovar film, mm-hmm. uh, Synecdoche, New York, Charlie Kaufman, right? Mm-hmm. Still Alice, mm-hmm. and Call Me By Your Name, which, of course, won, uh, won Best Screenplay a few years ago. Very, now, very recent. Yeah. here's the problem that I have with this. Unlike the Columbia Classics set, there's no digital locker stuff here. There's no movies anywhere. There's no oh. there's no voodoo movies anywhere code of it for any of these. None. So mm. you're you're basically paying straight up for the discs. And I don't understand why they would do that, because Sony is a signatory to the Movies Anywhere consortium, which means that their movies come out with codes that you can use to add them to your your voodoo and your iTunes and your movies anywhere right. accounts. Nothing here. Yeah, yeah. So, so you, I don't you get got, you got to pull this off the shelf if you want to. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that's a little bit annoying to me. Uh, it might sound spoiled, but it just it's something that Sony's been doing routinely and they didn't do it here. And I don't uh, I don't quite get why. It's very strange look, that they would do that. There's, there's that lovely book uh, uh, um, uh, that comes with it, too, with all. the. Uh, yes, it does have a nice book. Yeah, it does have a nice. Yeah, book. But, yeah. No, I get you, though. That's irritating. Yeah uh and then um let's 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 dip into the the rest of uh the rest of the 4k we got some tv 4k and then some movies 4k the tv 4k uh westworld uh season four the yeah. choice uh our buddy sherm was on uh was it the first yeah. season i think yeah, season one sherman was on season yeah one. Sherman season yeah one. Anyway. Um, did you did you did you did you stick with it uh for, what are we in season what now Four. This is season four. Is I mean, four. I think it's, I think it's stretching a little bit. I know a lot of people really love the show, and it just got canceled, and uh, it won't be back. So, uh, but I don't know. I, I, I felt like there, you can only kind of get so much out of that premise, and four seasons feels like the limit. Yeah, I said, and me. Look, I was. I, 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 probably end of season two, I was deeply satisfied <laughs> with, with. Yeah. Uh, and that's as way, far as I watched it. Uh, it's, it's with the way things had, had sort of settled themselves out, particularly if we're talking, we're talking about a, a Michael, Michael Crichton novel from the seventies that was originally yeah. that, uh, what was it? it was, I think it was Richard. Was, uh, Yul Brenner. Yul Brenner was the guy, was the yeah. cowboy. And uh, yeah, it, you know, and, and it, TV movie, I think that was, I think, didn't Michael direct? No, I think Michael directed he, that. He, I think he directed There was also future world. Oh yes, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, there was Future World. There was Westworld and then there's Future World. So but, I mean, yeah. this is material that they've really stretched out from its sort of like source Very stuff, true. that original now. I mean, they've I really know. milked it and you know, a lot of interesting stuff going on, and mm-hmm. it was really never that highbrow. I mean, this is all far and away more highbrow than, mm-hmm. than 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 the than the quasi pulp that, that that Michael was writing back in the day yep. in those movies. So but you know, they figured it out and they pulled it off and it's probably it's probably good that it's wrapping itself up. Uh, and J- and Jack Ryan season one and season two on 4K. Um, been, never been bought him as Jack show. Ryan for one second. I just never did. Did you? Yeah, thank you for saying no. Not at all. I mean, you know, but I didn't. I didn't buy Ben Affleck as as Jack Ryan either. Hey, Jack Ryan either. No. And and I remember when you told me. I remember when you told me when you, you saw the film before I did. And I said, ah, how's Ben as Jack Ryan? You said he he doesn't run right. Do you remember this? Do you remember telling <laughs> yeah. me this? Yeah. You said he doesn't run right. He runs like he's running to catch a bus. Those were your exact <laughs> words. And I could I, I fell asleep laughing that night. Just I, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, what a great turn of the phrase. He's running like he's running to catch a bus. Uh-huh. Um Ben needs to to work on his running style. But yeah, yeah. I mean, um 
you know, this is Krasinski trying to, he's, he's really, I mean, I, I give him credit for trying to stretch, but I still look at him. He's still the guy from the office. Yeah. You know, and he's in, 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 even in this series, he's kind of funny, you know, and I think about, I think about, uh, Alec, Alec, uh, who's Alec Baldwin, that first guy, he was the first one, right? The first Jack Alec Ryan. was the first. Yeah. And then they went oh, to well, Harrison the, Ford, who kind of Harrison. And, and Harrison saw, but you know, I always bought Alec in that first one. That was all, that was all. And then for I, was, October. I, I was, and I was okay. It did not bother me that sort of when, when it became Harrison Ford and then he did his whole run there. And, but since then, uh, I'm like, you know what? Uh, these guys are, are not, and, and I like John. He's a good director and all of that, but he will always, uh, he'll just be that guy from the office. <laughs> He's just that guy yeah. from the office. And I do not buy him saving my world. Uh, <laughs> that guy is not going to save my world. That's okay. I'll do it. Uh, so anyway, but, uh, but you know, no, no, you know, knock against him. I just haven't bought it. That's all. Yeah. Well, you know, he, um, he, I, I, the show independent of him, I think is a very well put together show. I think mm. it's solid. Yeah. Mm. Um, one other TV series before we uh, move on. This is not 4K, but it's uh, the complete series. The complete, uh, yes, the complete series of that 70s show, oh, yeah. which they're also doing like a weird reunion thing for. Um, so, you know, like Frasier, everything's coming back. So catch up, yeah. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, funny uh, when you look at this and you're like, holy cow, I didn't realize all those people started on that show. Like, I, I truly forgot, you know, I had forgotten. I mean, just how many careers began on that show. And yeah, uh, yeah, it was one of the ones. Hey, look, uh, Topher Grace. I I, I always forget Topher started on that show. Topher. Look, right here in L.A., uh, the Danny Masterson uh, trial. Yeah, exactly. Might have gone to the jury by now or something like Uh, that. You know, Danny, one of the kids on the show. I think it's uh, a hung jury. I think it went to a hung jury. Was it a hung jury? So, yeah, so. They Such may re- retry will make it. A difference. And I think I and I think Kurtwood, Kurtwood died. If I'm not, Kurtwood played the he dad. Did. Yep. Yeah, I think we lost Kurtwood because I could do that without. We did, Kurt. and he's he, I, you know I always remember him most from RoboCop and Dead oh, Poets yeah. Society, two very yeah. different roles. Yeah, the dad uh, and the sociopath. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Time Life has some uh, great box sets as well, some uh, concert music performance stuff. Um, Amazing Grace, country star, country stars sing songs of faith and hope is a very, very nice set. Um, Austin City Limits Country, if you're if you're a fan of that show, that's uh, two volumes. And then we also have Russell Simmons Deaf Comedy Jam All Stars, um, two volumes. So these are these are great time life uh, box sets for people who want, you know, plenty of country, plenty of music. Time Life comes out with great box sets uh, around the holiday time. This is the three that they have available right now. Also highly recommended. Nobody will be disappointed. Yeah, yeah. The, the, um, uh, deaf comedy being a part of that time life set strikes me as funny. But maybe, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> okay, I mean, whatever. That was, you know, uh, Russell Simmons did did a hell of a thing by becoming kind of the godfather of of that particular yeah. moment. I mean, Deaf Comedy Jam was a great. It's a great concept, and there was a moment when everybody was doing these kind of like you know night at the improv and and the. You know, all these various shows were on TV that were kind of trying to get a little mileage out of aggregating comics. And you had a lot of top tier comics that would show up, do like a 10 minute set and move on to the next person. And and uh, then they started marketing that stuff early days DVD. But Russell Simmons was the one who really kind of figured out how to make that format work. Yeah. That yeah. Aggregated and, and, format. And, 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 and who came with Kevin Hart? 
the old yep. Hughley. I mean, a lot of a lot of younger comics to 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 you and me. You know, we're yeah. from we're we're from Pryor and and Carlin and and, yeah. and Dick Gregory and all of that kind of. But these 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 younger cats, cats that are significant now, came out of that Def Comedy Jam set. Yep, very true. Uh, let's get to some 4K movies. This is an unbelievable season for um, for 4K movies. We've got uh, Steelbooks. One of them you got to go to Best Buy to get. So, but the the Tarantino Steelbook scene is uh, is on fire. So, one from Lionsgate, one from Paramount, but they're both Steelbooks and they're both Tarantino and they're both 4K and they're amazing. Uh, so, from Paramount, we got Pulp Fiction on 4K, mm. which is fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Uh, loaded with extras, you know, cast interviews and uh, the the Charlie Rose interview with Tarantino, uh, you know, all the Cannes Film Festival stuff, which I was there that year. I mean, I remember this. I remember the press conference. I remember, you know, Tarantino uh, collecting his palm door and the woman screaming uh, the injustices from the rafters in theater and then him <laughs> flipping the bird. It was so unprofessional and yet so memorable. It's all on here. Um and then uh, Reservoir Dogs as a Best Buy exclusive from Lionsgate. Nice 4K uh, steelbook set. Um, go get you get it on. I mean, you know, Tarantino was this. I mean, Reservoir Dogs. That wasn't. These are my Tarantino experiences at Cannes because mm-hmm. ninety two and ninety four. And in ninety two, I remember sitting on the beach talking to Quentin for an hour. And he was a nobody and I was a nobody and we we're just hanging out on the beach and, and talking about old movies and Reservoir Dogs and Hong Kong movies. And it was a good time. Man, and then man. two years later, he comes back and he wins the Palm Door. And man, I I was like, I boy, I gotta I gotta step up my game. It's fantastic, just not working. Fantastic. But anyway, really uh, wonderful, wonderful steel books and uh, a lot of great extras on both of them. But really, the lion's share of the extras uh, are on uh, the Pulp Fiction set. That yeah. one just absolutely kills it. Uh, <laughs> Tim, come on, John Travolta in that white suit, baby. Oh. Looking fantastic. Looking fantastic. You know, 45 years, man. Saturday Night Fever, 45 years. Yeah. Makes me dizzy. That's just, that's unbelievable. The music uh, still holds up. Uh, John is the still movie still. Up. The movie still holds up. The movie still holds up. And you know why? Well, for one thing, uh, a lot of music in that movie it was, you know, very popular and very pop and all that kind of thing. But the movie is really quite the serious drama. It is. A lot of people forget that Saturday Night Fever is a drama. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's very powerful and deeply moving. It, it really is emotional film. Uh, yeah. But you know, we think about that dance, and he's on that cover of that suit. Night Fever. Yeah, I know that, that movie's a drama, man, and it's real it, heavy. It, it, it's got some very heavy scenes in it. Donna Pascal is tremendous in this movie. I mean, really tremendous. Uh, and we forget, you know, Fran Drescher, her career begins in this movie with a cameo. Yeah. She has one line, you know, are you as good and bad as you are on the dance floor? That's her. That's her line. She has where she has the whiny uh, New York accent. And next thing you know, people are putting her in things and she's a star. I mean, yeah. just that one moment. It was like uh, Bronson Pinchot in Beverly Hills Cop, right? You yeah, just come yeah. on and you steal a moment from a movie star and you're made. The next thing. Um, next anyway, video. 4K, 4K Saturday Night Fever is is to die for. Not just because of how good it looks, but because of how good it sounds, how good it sounds on a great system. You're, if you're if you're a Bee Gees fan, if you love this movie like I love this movie, you're just going to go nuts. It's going it, to it's never sounded this good in a house outside of a movie theater. 
Um, go dig around. Go dig around in, uh, in 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 the archives here and find our interview. Actually, wait and just tell you <laughs> what episode it is. Uh, and find our interview oh, with John, John Badham. Yeah, yeah, John. Uh, yeah, that, add that to the mix there. That was great. That was just a good time sitting down with John Badham and, uh, and talking to him. Got a couple other steel books here uh, for animation from uh, the uh, the terrific people at Leica. The um, Steelbook 4K Ultra HD Blu-rays of Coraline and Paranorman. Uh, looking good. Sounding really good. Paranorman, I'm not quite as fond of, but Coraline, I think, still totally holds up. I think it's absolutely yeah. wonderful. Uh, but either way, tons of special features here, as you expect from uh, animated films, character concept, art, interviews, uh, audio commentaries You know, with the directors, and on and on and on and on. Uh, Henry Selleck, especially talking about uh, Coraline, is is pretty great. If you haven't heard mm. that commentary before, deleted scenes, storyboards, the whole thing. So, uh, wonderful in steelbooks. Uh, go get some, and um, you know it's a great education, especially for kids who might want to learn more about animation and stop motion animation and all that. Oh, stuff. cool! Yeah, pretty great. Yeah, Tim, you're a big adaptation fan. Uh, I am less so, but that's on 4K I- now. Yeah, 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 yeah. From 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 the Susan Orling book, and I, I look. I'm a big Charlie Kaufman fan, and this was one of those moments in Nick Cage's career where again he had been off doing you know a bunch of wacky need to make a buck Nick Cage movies, and then suddenly uh, uh, he's in this film playing himself and his brother in this Charlie Kaufman film, and and it, it all kind of goes crazy in Spike Jones, and it sort of reminded us that wow, Nick Cage is an amazing actor. Um, uh, you know, even in, in, and you know, and we, we had another, you know, run of these sort of, sort of uh, wacky Nick Cage movies and then, but every now and again, Nick would come back to one and yeah. this was one. And I happen to like the movie a lot too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a good looking 4k. It's not my favorite movie, but you know, uh, doesn't have to be, uh, Tim loves it and I'll, I'm going to roll with that. You got, um, got some, some respectable extras on here, but for the most part, you know, look, movies, anywhere code adaptation charlie kaufman uh add this with synecdoche new york uh that's on that sony set which yeah, does yeah. not have the movies anywhere code but you're, you're good to go we also got a couple from uh <coughs> excuse me scream factory shout factory scream factory a couple of great 4k sets here collector's editions both uh the company of wolves and uh carrie the original oh wow and, uh, you know, the company of wolves, I always forget about, uh, but that's a That's a good, solid little film, a good Neil Jordan, um, gem there. I don't know what's happening, you know, to Neil Jordan in recent years. He's kind of disappeared, gone off grid, but, uh, yeah. Angela Lansbury is, is terrific in this. Um, you know, it's for those who don't know, this is kind of a, um, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, a sort of true adaptation of the actual yeah, it's it's Scary. like bringing it's like it's like a it's like a, a Little Red Riding Hood. Uh, yeah, it's like werewolves in Little Red Riding Hood. It's kind of what it does. But anyway, it's a it's a yeah. it's a good solid little uh, little gem from 1984. And then of course uh, it's got you know uh, some fascinating extras on it. The Neil Jordan commentary is absolutely excellent. It's just really one of his very very best. Um, and uh, then you got uh, Carrie. Uh, mm-hmm which is one of Brian De Palma's very, very best, uh, you know, loaded with extras. Now, nearly all the extras here are on the Blu-ray, so you can't watch the 4K and uh, and get, you know, any of, the, any of the goodies, but you get all of them on the Blu-ray, and it's loaded with them, and they're terrific. There's 
You know, yeah. he, especially I yeah. want to see yeah. the interview. They should have never remade Dinesh. that. They should have never remade that. Never they, remade they, it. They remade that. You know, they should have never. I know. Remade. This is quintessential. This is this is, this is scary. Uh, the the interview with in the book. The interview with composer Pino Donaggio is really, really interesting. And then, of course, you get an interview with Brian De Palma and and the casting director and everybody else. It's uh, it's pretty great, good stuff. It's really, really good stuff. So, 4K of Carrie is uh, is to be coveted. Uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which is technically a Thanksgiving movie, but I think it's good for any holiday. Um, that's out in 4K. That's been out. They release this thing every year for Thanksgiving, and they finally put it on 4K. And doesn't have a ton of extras on it. It's just kind of got the uh, lost luggage Blu-ray, uh, which has, you know, some deleted scenes, extended scene stuff, which is not great. But you know what? I mean, you might think, well, do I really need to see Steve Martin and John Candy, uh, you know, stick it up in, in 4K? Yeah, you kind of do. I think you do. I think you really do. Because it's a great movie. I love this movie. I love the pairing. I love the two of them. I think they're hilarious. They're fantastic. And, you know, John Hughes and... It's just, and that's another fun one where, you know, you look around that movie, you're watching it now and you look at that movie, you're like, oh, I, I, oh, I forgot he was, oh, I forgot he was in that movie. You know, yeah, I know. And, <laughs> in that movie. As Kevin Bacon's in that movie. Yeah, I'll cut the people. Did you, did you see the film Smile, either the original short or the, the feature? The horror no, movie. I guess the, the the horror movie that everybody's been talking yeah, about. Yeah, that everybody's kind of going going a little bit uh, freaky over. Uh, so I, I never I never saw the short or the feature. Watched them both. Um, they're they're pretty creepy. Mm. Pretty creepy. I mean, it really is. Yeah, I the, the the smile uh, of the of the box cover, you know, is in fact a creepy smile, and they <laughs> they did a good job. Uh, but yeah, watching the uh, the short and the feature is really interesting. Parker Finn got a lot of talent, very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I I don't know if I I needed this in 4K, but uh, but it's out there, and uh, I like the tagline too. Once you see it, it's too late. Ooh, <laughs> nice, creepy, nice. nice, yeah. And then and then we got a couple of new movies, both of them uh theoretically awards contenders that are out on 4K as well. Uh, the Woman King and Don't Worry Darling. Uh, I have rather strong opinions about both. Tim, you first. Uh, don't Worry Darling, uh, I appreciate it. Unfortunately, it came associated with all that sort of ding battery yeah. uh, connected to the stars and the director. And, and, and the drama at Venice and all that nonsense. And, yeah. and, and all of that. It's just, um, uh, at the end of the day, as much as I appreciate it, it's particularly style and product, production design and all that kind of stuff. A couple of performances. It's really just Valley of the Dolls. Um, uh, <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. That's really a great. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I saw this movie back in the seventies uh, when it was called that. The Woman King, I appreciate. It came with a bit of a, a controversy too, having to do with whether or not you know this tribe and who did what and all kinds. Oh, of the usual, stuff. the usual. Is this the real history stuff? Stuff which I I just sort of discounted and ignored and and um and, and sort of forgot about and and more. Uh, Gina, uh, of course, you're you're what? Uh, I was at UCLA. I was at, she was she was a grad student. She was with Alexander Payne in the same class. And that I and was, that, and that, I was that an undergrad. Class. Yeah, just just fantastic uh, work on her part, and I'm really really happy about about her. I appreciated the movie quite a lot. Uh, uh, could have been. It's, it's no Black Panther. It's no Wakanda. Uh, yeah. You know, but then again, it doesn't have that scale either. You know, it, 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 it you know, I here's what I, here's what I'm really happy about. Gina, Gina has has had a really she has not had the same career that Alexander Payne had. 
And a lot of us always felt like she should have because they were the two, right? They were the two stars of that program. And I remember everybody was, you know, Alexander's thesis film, his, his graduating thesis film was, you know, The Passion of Martin was like a big deal. But, but you know, Gina was a big deal, too. And Love and Basketball, I always yeah. thought, there it is. Now she's, she's on. And somehow that didn't produce for her. The same way that, for example, um, uh, what was, what was the, it? Election was it? Election? Uh, it was not election. It's the one before election with uh, before election. Yeah, the the abortion thing. Um, yeah, with uh, uh, Laura Dern. Laura Dern. Yeah, that was the one that kind of produced for him and got him election. And I thought Love and Basketball was a was a far superior entry film but you know what suddenly gina's off the grid she's doing like tv movies and cable things and not really on the track and you know suddenly now the woman king comes along and opens at number one and it's in the awards mix and i think finally she's kind of come around right Mm -hmm. so I, i feel like justice has been served and and she now finally has the career and the attention that she's always warranted and that so that makes me happy um, you know, based on true events. Well, we've talked about that before. I mean, you know, yeah. you can uh, you can stretch that until it until it pops. Uh, it's, Citizen uh, Ruth. Citizen Ruth. Citizen Ruth. That's it. Yeah. But mm-hmm. but you know, despite Viola Davis, I think there are some there are some other performance and and John Boyega. I think some of the other supporting performances, like like Lashana Lynch, I thought was superb yeah. in this thing. Yeah. Just superb. So there are some really you know pay attention not just to the names above the title, but to some of the supporting t- uh, the the, uh, the supporting roles as well. Uh, Viola must have worked out like crazy to get rid of. Oh this. wow, that was that was nuts and 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 and, and important because you had to buy it. <clears throat> one yeah. of the ways, one of the things that I like about this movie was that it, this wasn't about a, a bunch of women like uh, in the uh, uh, what is it, the Wonder Woman films? You know these Amazon yeah. women and they're yeah. mystical, magical, and they can do all these sort of things. No, uh, these were people who could get killed <laughs> and yep. uh, and and just had to be strong and and more capable. Uh, and 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 clever uh, in order to engage men in combat and win, and that's what's going on in the film. Uh, so you know, no magical whips or anything like that. We didn't talk about that whole situation with Wonder Woman. We, we were gonna oh yeah, we were good. Yeah. The, the well, I mean, let's throw that in right now. Speaking of uh, Amazons, <laughs> we'll side we'll sidetrack into that for a second. Yeah, Wonder Woman three not moving ahead. Mm. The whole like, new uh, literally on the day. Uh, and then the just, whole. Boom. That yeah. whole new DC regime is is being very very serious. So Gun, James Gunn uh, not messing around. And uh, and and basically, if I understand it correctly, I was looking. I was just looking at deadline. Hetty Jenkins was supposed to turn in a script, a script. Yeah, she turned in a treatment, not a script. You know why? Yeah, tell me. I mean, she, no, because well, I'll, I'll tell you right. I mean, it's speculation on my part, but I'll tell you why. Because she wasn't going to waste time on a script if it wasn't going to move ahead, and I think she saw the writing on the wall. Oh, and, and said, "Why should I? Why should I?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. After the after all the yeah, and then and then and, and then uh, uh, Gail had apparently just you know tweeted something you know yesterday or whatever about about you know the the mm-hmm. the, the sequel, something positive, something anticipatory of the sequel, and then. Uh, they basically just said nah, <laughs> and stabbed that all out instantly. Yeah, which doesn't is. necessarily mean anything to do with her. She's she's fantastic, uh, and I think that if there is a Wonder Woman, it will be her. Yeah, uh, um, unless they do something wacky, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, there just may not be one, and you know, issues around you know there, there have been issues over there for a minute, man. Henry Cavell is he or is he gonna, isn't he going to be Superman? Who mm-hmm. the fuck is Batman? Yeah. Uh, 
uh, you know, all of that is, is, is been- they'll, they'll sort it out. They'll shake it out. Yeah. And then a couple of late arrivals on the, on the 4k front, the, uh, and the, an absolutely wonderful, uh, 4k 60th anniversary. Can't believe it's 60th anniversary, uh, 4k release of, uh, to kill a mockingbird, which uh, from universal, which is just absolutely gorgeous and, uh, makes you just revere that story. And, uh, Gregory Peck all over again, Robert Mulligan, just doing a wonderful, wonderful job there. You know what? I'd always, I'd always forgotten too, that Alan, Alan Pakula produced that. Oh yeah. 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 You know, I always, I always forget that Pakula was, you know, a producing power already in the 1960s before we even get, you know, a decade later in all the president's men. He's, um, you know, in such a horrible way that he died. And then the uh, classic Christmas specials collection is out on 4k at long last. So you can get, you know, Santa Claus is coming to town and Rudolph and, and Frosty the snowman. And and it, it, it's, they finally have now released that. All that great Rankin Bass stuff uh, in uh, in in 4K. So it uh, it's it you'll start to see some details that you might not want to see, like <laughs> hair, so hair in the hair in the gate, and you know fingerprints on uh, on the snow, and yeah, it. I mean, you know that stuff that they probably didn't expect, but you know what? It's still an awful lot of fun, and uh, looks looks better. And you know, we just we just lost. Um, Arthur Rankin Jr., didn't we? Yeah. Yep. yep we we yep. lost Jules Bass a long time ago, but Arthur Rankin, the last last piece of Rankin Bass, just recently passed as well. So, yeah, they're all going away. But you know what? Their work lives forever. Legacy. Legacies. Lives forever. I'm going to roll through some other TV that we got here just so that we can move on with the show. Just so that you know, these are all box sets that are out recently and uh, make great gifts. Uh, Better Call Saul Season 6. Mm-hmm. which has uh, uncensored special features on it, so much so that they, they want to brag about that. Uh, Animal Kingdom, the sixth and final season of the Americanized show based on the Australian movie. Uh, that's run for six really, really successful seasons. You can get that on, on DVD now. Season one from Showtime of the uh, really awesome Jeff Daniels and Maura Tierney show, American Rust. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, really like HBO level stuff. This is a really, really terrific new show. So on Blu-ray, you got season one of that. Uh, Young Rock is in season two. I don't know. I, I seriously don't know people how people love that show. I don't get it. I mean, I, people love that show. But where does Dwayne Johnson find time to do any of this stuff? Yeah, because like, he pops up in that show all the time. I know. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't. I. I mean, truly, there. You know, there was a, there was a Super Bowl commercial about how busy his life is from about four or five years ago. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. Where he's yeah, like yeah, yeah. D- talking on the cell phone, doing four things at once. And then he gets on a plane and he's doing five other things. You know, and I, and it was funny. But I look at this, I'm like, how did you like Black Adam and this and everything else that you're doing? And meanwhile, my my daughter is taking a sick day from school and watching Moana, in which he is singing. Where did he learn how to sing? Like, how does <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like you got to learn. You got to take lessons. I don't. Some people under- just got it, man. They just oh, got man. it. They have the they have the focus and the direction. It's really it's it's interesting. You know, as long as we've been in this town watching folks, yeah, it it, it really has. You know, you know, to, watching entire careers happen. In yeah. other words, we we proceed. Uh, uh, you know, even The Rock, frankly, yeah, back when he was, we precede yeah. him. And then there's a, the Rock, and then and, the Rock becomes Dwayne John, and then it's like, wow. And and then he's still, and and to maintain that body, the dude still has to put in some gym hours every day. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. come on, some any any tweets? You know, how do you find the time? Anyway, why women kill the complete series? Mm-hmm. Uh, not one of my favorites, but it's on Blu-ray, mm-hmm. uh, and that's out there as well. 
The Offer on Blu-ray and DVD. Let's talk for just for a second. Did you watch The Offer, the uh, uh, the Paramount Plus series on the making of The Godfather? Yeah, and, 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 and I thought it was a lot of fun and very interesting and in some ways uh, highly illuminating. I, you can, I, I preferred that because it was sort of like walking this line of trying to tell this sort of quasi-true story in a, yeah. in a quasi-true way. As opposed to that Showtime series that they're doing over there, you know, for the Lakers, yeah. you know, which yeah. just said, yeah, we'll, we'll just going to do whatever we want. Yeah. I preferred this. <laughs> I did too. Uh, because, yeah, this, this is interesting to me, you know? As much as I liked, uh, watching, you know, the, the Lakers Showtime series, uh, not on Showtime, but, you know, the, yeah, about, yeah. yeah. Uh, much as I enjoyed it, um, uh, I lived through all that and I know that that was a bunch of bunk. Yeah. I mean, you know, everything that Magic and Kareem have been saying that that never happened. I, it, they're, they're right. Never happened. Yeah. And I had to I had to blah. But this and some really I love Matthew Good as Robert Evans, as, you know, young Robert yeah. Evans. Uh, he was really, really, really good. Uh, and, you know, just he's, you know, who was a kid? I think his name's Justin something or other. He's playing playing young Brando or not young Brando, but Brando. Uh, yeah. And, and everybody really was just killing it, man. It's uh, good. Uh, I agree. Yeah. I agree. And speaking of Matthew Good, A Discovery of Witches, the complete trilogy on Blu-ray, uh, which inc- includes a collectible bookmark, which is hilarious. The whole thing's done kind of as a book motif. Anyway, uh, yeah, you know, uh, Discovery of Witches, not something that was on my radar originally, but it's pretty it's pretty good. I mean, ran for three seasons, um, 25 episodes, and uh, Matthew Good is great in it. Uh, on the DC end, we also have uh, the Peacemaker from HBO Max, the uh, complete first season, which is uh, you know James Gunn's sort of attempt to do some TV stuff right up based on his Suicide Squad introduction mm-hmm. of the Peacemaker character. It's pretty good. Uh, we get the third season of Doom Patrol, uh, which I also think is 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 pretty good. Kind of taking the whole DC television thing in a different direction. It's gonna be very interesting to see what they do now uh, now that Gunn is is going to coordinate everything mm-hmm. the way that the Marvel Universe is coordinated. So that'll be interesting. Uh, we also have Ghosts Season 1, uh, Paramount Plus, DVD only. And not surprisingly okay. popular, surprisingly yeah. popular to me. I'm like, wow, this, this, sometimes these sitcoms did break out really surprise me. Never know. Creep Show Season 3, which has tons and tons of bonus content. This is from Shudder. Uh, I think it was a pretty smart thing for Shudder to do. Uh, we've got Riverdale, the sixth season. Heaven knows how that got to six seasons, but yeah. uh, there it is. A really uh, wacky take on the Archies that you and I grew up unbelievable. with. Unbelievable. Like, really? Six, six this seasons. This is what we're doing with the Archies? This is what we're six doing years. Six there years. There it is. The, Ar- yeah. Ar- the Archie cartoon didn't run for six years. I think it ran for like two, <laughs> if even that. Yeah. I don't, I don't well, With it. a little touch of Josie and the Pussycats in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the complete third season of You, which is another one that has a bit of a following. And, uh, you know, I had to I had to kind of take a look at this. I think it's I think the quirkiness is what uh, makes this show work for people. Um, you know, it's, I like it's, I like, uh, I, like uh, I like Penn Bagley uh, Badgley. I always I, I dig Jenna Ortega. It's a good cast. It's what it is. Yeah. And it's. And it and it's one of the few shows that kind of captures a certain Northern California uh, elitist motif. So mm-hmm. you know it's a thing. Uh, we got a, we got a Showtime uh, steel book of Dexter New Blood, which mm-hmm. I didn't think the show needed to come back, but nah. uh, some people can't get enough of the twisted thing. 
Um, Reacher season one. Let's talk about Reacher season one because it's mm. a really interesting contrast to the Jack Ryan show. These are these are characters that were incarnated in big movies by major stars, Harrison Ford, and you know, in the case of the one, and obviously Tom all the Cruise, others we talked about, yeah. and Tom Cruise here. So, how do you do a Jack Reacher series that doesn't have Tom Cruise in it, and how do you escape that shadow and make it work? I don't know. I think this actually works pretty well. This is Paramount, made for uh, Amazon Studios. Um, did, have you seen any of it? Oh, sure, sure. I, 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 I did that whole season. And, and the, the reason why it works is because uh, this Reacher uh, is, is like the Reacher in the books. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Alan, uh, Richard, he's six foot five. Reacher's six yeah. foot five. He is the guy. So when, when, when the Reacher, so the language of this series um, um, is the language of the book, and but the images in the series also match. Uh, yeah. When people are always talking about how big this guy is yeah, uh, and, and his nature and all of that kind of stuff. And then we see Alan. We're like, oh, yeah, that didn't make any sense whatsoever in those in those Tom Cruise movies. Right. Uh, because he simply didn't have the physicality. So they would usually kind of leave that language out of those movies. Uh, occasionally they would try to and then they would get the camera real low and try to put Tom on an Apple box like they used to do Stallone and, you know, and try to make him look like yeah. he was 6'5". But I'm like, that's not working. So mostly they just had to sort of ignore all of that. Uh, but in the series, they don't have to ignore it because this no. guy is actually 6'5". Crazy. Yeah, big dude. Definitely makes it his own. Yeah. Uh, we also have the limited series of The Thing About Pam uh, with Renee Zellweger. Um, you, you know, uh, I've, n- I've never t- told you this. Okay. Pam Hupp uh, is the Pam that's in that series. Yeah. In, 19, in 1980, uh, whenever I got back from the Air Force, 80, 83 or 84, I, I worked at this medical center in St. Louis, Barnes Hospital Medical Center. I was in human resources. I hired people. Hmm. Uh, I hired Pam Hupp. You're kidding. Uh, I hired Pam Hupp to be the receptionist in the human resources department at Barnes Hospital in 1983. It was 83, 83 or 84. And Pam Hupp was my receptionist in my office. And it's so funny because I'm watching this and, I, and, and a friend of mine from way back then, Rhonda, who was also a, a human resources a headhunter. We Holy were headhunters, cow. I, I, you know, I call her. And, and and the phone rings and Rhonda answers and she says, yep, that's her. <laughs> this, is <how> you, <laughs> this is how you 30, 40, 40 years later, almost 40 years later. Yep, that's her. I'm like, I don't think I talked to Rhonda in 30 years. Uh, and she's like, yep, that's wow. her. And so that Pam Hupp, I actually hired her. She was my receptionist. And then she went on to kill some people. <laughs> so, so, so. And they know. made a miniseries about it with Renee Zellweger, like yeah. dressing herself down and putting on weight and the whole wow so how how close is renee zellweger's uh pam to the real one well she would you know, pam was pam again this was 40 years ago and pam would have been in her 20s when i hired her but she was a thick girl uh softball player uh she was a real south st louis girl south st louis girls really it's kind of like a kind of like queens kind of like Frank. <laughs> okay a girl. And so, so Renee, you know, by, by putting on a few pounds and doing that. And of course she's playing Pam 25 years after she was, you know, cause all of that stuff happened in the, in what the, uh, the early two thousands or something. It's about uh, 20 yeah, years ago, about 20 years ago in the early two yeah. thousands. So, and that would have been, you know, 20 years after, mm-hmm. you know, she was my receptionist. <laughs> so it was wow. very, that, that blew me away, man. I'm like, ah. Oh, I, oh I my the, goodness. No, the murderer. Chip. 
Wow. Dude, I'm so sorry. That's crazy. <laughs> it was, I, find it I, I got I got nothing to say about it. It's like <laughs> Renee Zellweger we're thing about Pam. Tim, everybody. Uh, well, we also, this is all anticlimactic now. Might as well end the show. <laughs> I don't know. What that, I don't, Seriously. I, 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 didn't, I didn't even know that was in the thing, but I've been meaning I've been yeah, Merry, Merry Christmas, that. everybody. Tim knew a murderer. <laughs> Good night. Wow. Gee whiz. <laughs> Um, Star Trek Discovery season four on Blu-ray loaded with special features. Uh, the gag reel is actually pretty funny. I got to admit um, the uh, you know, I have not been a fan of Discovery, to be honest. I mean, like I think four seasons, it's a little bit like uh, it has felt over four seasons as I have occasionally tuned in a little bit like uh, Legends of Tomorrow. Like, could you could you just settle down enough to kind of figure out what this show is about and who's on it? Mm. But I think season four, maybe they they seem to finally be getting there a little bit. I don't know. Well, it it, it like Picard. It, I feel I feel I feel like both of those series needed more development. Yeah, I I I, I, I feel the like they were just pulling the trigger because they could pull the trigger and you know everybody get yeah. paid and all this kind of stuff. But I feel like they both needed more development. They both needed to be, frankly, more serious. Uh, a series, you know, man, I'm a big, I'm a ridiculous Star Trek. Yeah, uh, you know. Uh, yeah. all, all the way back. Uh, and, 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 and only now are they starting to be about things that make sense and to sort of take themselves serious and, and to make themselves a part of the canon. So that's, yeah. that's not good. They, that first episode of Discover, uh, first episode, first season, uh, I, I enjoyed. And then we, we did some wacky time jump thing, uh, and, 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 you know, into 700 years in the future. And I'm like, yeah. now you're just, now you're just, you've, you've, you've screwed yourself. You, you, you paint yourself into a corner and then to get out of that corner, uh, you're doing this whole wacky thing, uh, you know, with, with the, and I was going to, and same thing with, with Picard, you know, we had a good notion here, a good yeah. notion, Romulan empire destroyed only all the time that, because we could tie that back to some things that happened the next gen, And then we just went completely sideways. Yeah. Um, uh, with those. So that's what I feel about those just two. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fans of Star Trek stuff, but yeah, they went a little sideways. And then, uh, you know, if you if you want to feel better about where COVID is, watch the uh, the special events from South Park, the uh, on the co- post COVID Blu-ray, which is just absolutely stone cold hilarious. Um, the I mean, you know, I I imagine every week it's just really fun in that writer's room sitting around going, how can we make fun of everything that happened this week? Absolutely everything. And they do, and they do it brilliantly. So post-COVID, South Park post-COVID, it is it is cathartic and wonderful. 1997, uh, man. That is insane. South Park. I know. That, been on, that, that, it, that thing was second around in the, in, second, in the middle 90s. Second longest running animated series in history, next to uh, The Flintstones, Simpsons. Maybe? The Simpsons. 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 That's right, because The Simpsons beat The Flintstones. Simpsons, <laughs> like, is, the, Simpsons is the longest running TV series uh, or primetime TV series ever of any kind. Yeah. It's yeah, crazy 80, now. What, 87 or something like that? Something thing? like that, yeah. yeah it's nuts. Uh, I mean, good money for everybody. All those people are billionaires oh, now. Walk in, sit in front of a microphone and, 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 you know, jabber for a couple hours and collect millions. People have uh, put their kids through college on those two. And, and people's kids have gone to college for those people ones. have people have bought colleges for for what they've made <laughs> on that show yeah, yeah, that's right. so and then we have a ton of ultraman stuff i mean you know knock yourself out ultraman zerth and ultraman zerth 2 um we've got ultraman mebius the series 
We have um, Ultraman Nexus, the complete series, plus the uh, specials, including uh, Ultraman The Next. We have um, Ultraman Cosmos, the series and the specials, which includes Ultraman Cosmos versus Ultraman Justice uh, and Ultraman Cosmos 2. And then we even have the animated Ultraman Kids, the complete series, which uh, actually is the one that I enjoy the most because mm. I can't tell the others apart. There's the, <laughs> it's like the, the helmets and the fins are the only thing that differentiates and they all look the same. But Ultra, I didn't even know there was an Ultraman Kids and it's it's hilarious and it's really cool. And it's, you know, um, it's like very juvenile anime, but I, I, it, it's got next to nothing to do with Ultraman. It's just, it's a, it's like a crazy anime series for kids with all kinds of punky characters. And I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that one. So, uh, get your Ultraman on. There's something there for all ages. <laughs> I don't, I'm a disciple of that original 19, what is it? 66, 65, 66 yeah, series. The original live action with the guy in the suit. And, you know, the same thing happened every episode. He had to fly to the sun to recharge. And, yeah, I just, uh, what can I say? That's my arch, man. All right, Tim, I'm going to blow through a lot of this stuff. Chime in as you feel you need to. Uh, This is all, these are all classic movies. These are, these are, uh, and, and, you know, shorts and things. But this is all really, really good stuff. I'm just going to go by company. First of all, Cult Epics has given us a whole lot of Sylvia Christel. For Mm. people who who have a little bit of the, you know. Lady Traveler. Yeah, uh, it, it, which is I interesting because there's a new Lady Chatterley, Lady Chatterley's lover out right now. Indeed, there is. Well, uh, Sylvia Christel was the you know the original um, kind of soft core. I don't even want to use that word because it's it's that's sort of it. She was the original sort of vixen from the the soft focus moment, uh, the Emmanuel moment in the in the late '60s, early '70s. So we've got uh, Naked Over the Fence with Sylvia Christel. Don't con- don't confuse Sylvia Christel with being a good actress because she's not. But <laughs> <laughs> the movies are, are, are kind of memorable. And then a uh, 1970s collection, which includes Playing with Fire, Pastoral 1943, Mysteries, and Julia. So Sylvia Christel fans can uh, mm. can enjoy all of that. Uh, we have a bunch of stuff from uh, Flickr Alley, who, who primarily focuses on classic films and mostly silence. This is a great bunch of stuff. We've got Silent Enemy from the Blackhawk Films Collection, uh, which is, is an absolutely beautiful film from 1930. Um, really one of the, you know, filmed in on location in some very, very remote parts of Canada. And one of the earliest looks at, at like authentic looks of Native American life, which mm. is extraordinary. I mean, they embedded themselves with the Chippewa tribe. And, you know, this is nearly 100 years ago. So it really is uh, rather, rather significant. So um, yeah. Silent Enemy is pretty great. Uh, we also have from 1951, uh, The Whistle at Eaton Falls, which is uh, a, uh, a very, very little scene Robert Syadmach uh, film that is pretty great drama from the period. It, it's uh, it's kind Lloyd of Lloyd Bridges, man. Dorothy Gish. <clears throat> yeah, it's a it's a good it's a good solid 50s kind of social realism film that i think compares favorably with a lot of more you know, like on the waterfront and other films that are very much more well known from that moment and then uh regular flicker alley black uh, um um blu-rays uh el vampiro negro the black vampire from 1953 a really great argentine classic uh a couple of noir classics the guilty and high tide which are uh from 1947 Pretty great stuff. Really mm. brisk noirs. Really solid. And then uh, the very, very famous Casanova from 1927, 
by Alexander Volkov, which is sort of the uh, the 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 first of many many uh, classic Casanovas, and you know that's that's a silent era Casanova. Mm. And then we've got from classic flicks. Not only the last three volumes, four, uh, four, five, and six of their Little Rascals series, their restored Little Rascals, but those rascals and classic flicks came out with a complete collection. And this is the one I would recommend for everybody. If you haven't been collecting them piecemeal, volume by volume, they've got all six discs, all six uh, sets in a, in a much tighter little compact box set here, the complete collection, Centennial Edition. Um, you know... 1300 plus minutes of the uh, little rascals from all the way to, to about 1938. It doesn't include the the later stuff, the more recent stuff, Robert uh, how, how does, Blake how, and all that. But how, if one, yeah. if one is, if one is searching uh, little rascals as opposed to our gang. Yeah. What, what would one get in, in, in terms of a different. You, uh, so you're going to get th- this includes all that early our gang stuff. Okay. From it starts in 1929, so it's it's it is it is still the our gang stuff. Um, so all the early from you know it, it I mean I think it basically started the early 20s. I think 22. All that all that the, all that all that Hal Roachy. Yeah, all that Hal Roach stuff. Yeah, Roche. and then it, it takes you up to about uh, 38, and then um, uh, everything since 38. I think there were some things made between 38 and and early 40s. I think that's where that's the stuff that it doesn't have. But nonetheless, Centennial Edition, it's great. Six six sets, it's fantastic. fantastic. Uh, also, uh, Orson Welles and Nancy Guild in Black Magic, which is a lot of fun. Uh, it's got a wonderful uh, supporting performance by uh, Margot Graham in here. It's well worth paying attention to. The best version of Jack and the Beanstalk, uh, Abbott and Costello. This is the 70th, 70th anniversary limited edition. Beautifully restored. This is out in a few different versions. This is the one that you want to get. They worked with the 3D Film Archive, did a fantastic restoration, and added a ton of bonus features onto this thing. Um, everything else is just, you know, uh, not even not even going to come close. The uh, classic uh, Claire Trevor, Dennis O'Keefe, uh, Anthony Mann-directed noir Raw Deal is also out uh, from 1948. Really brisk, sharp noir, loaded, loaded with extras, uh, including a really, really great uh, Jeremy Arnold commentary on here. Mm. Raw Deal, uh, one of those great Anthony Mann chillers. And uh, Mickey Spillane's Eye the Jury in a limited edition uh, in 3D. So, uh, you know, it's a little bit more of a, and this is 4K, by the way. This is 4K 3D. I don't know if there are any 4K 3D players. I that would surprise me, but nonetheless, uh, you can you can give it a shot. I, I think it'll it'll work just fine either way. Anyway, yeah. Um, let's see. Then we've got Biff Elliott, film Aaron. detective. Film detective does a lot of great kind of classic culty stuff. The brain, the brain from Planet Aris is hilarious. Um, you should definitely check it out. Girl on a Chain Gang is also hilarious. You should check that out. Uh, all this stuff is really this is like early exploitation stuff. Yeah. Uh, Dancing Pirate is is the is actually the first one hundred percent Technicolor musical, if you can believe it. I had never heard of this. Yeah. It's not particularly good. It's from nineteen thirty six, but it really is historic. It's it's really kind of it's really kind of a, a fascinating failure of a film. It's it's a it's a it's weird. 
Um, Lou Ayers and Teresa Wright, the wonderful Teresa Wright, whom I just adore, in uh, in the little seen, little known capture from 1950, which has a really cool audio commentary on it as well. Uh, we've got the the oft released The Bat special edition with Vincent Price and Agnes Moorhead. This has been released at least 150 times on DVD and Blu-ray. <laughs> uh, this is probably the best one you're going to see. Has a very very cool uh, Jason Nay uh, audio commentary on it. And uh, and a featurette. It's so this is this is the better version of the bat, the mo- monster from Green Hell, um, another fabulous exploitation film from 1957. One of those kind of post nuclear. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. It's it, the the special effects are terrible, and the movie is hilarious and wonderful. <laughs> uh, Battle of the Worlds, not War of the Worlds. Battle Battle of the Worlds with Claude Rains. Uh, who who's just get collecting a paycheck in 1961, the year before Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, really kind of a fun post-nuclear, post-World War II uh, exploitation uh, science fiction thing. Uh, fascinating story behind this, which you find out in the commentary by uh, Justin Humphreys. Really an interesting story. And then the one that I really, really want to recommend uh, from the film Detective is the Tarzan Vault Collection, which is, um, it includes three little, you know, million Tarzan films with a whole bunch of Tarzans were made. But these are some of the little seen ones. These are three early Tarzan movies, uh, including from the silent period, from 1918 and 1917, which are just bizarre. And uh, really, if you if you want to kind of be a completist on the whole history of Tarzan, they've got some great extras on here, um, featurettes and and uh, and uh, commentary tracks by uh, Ed Hulse. Um, really interesting. Gives you the whole history of Tarzan in the movies. Some of it's kind of a little bit sketchy. So uh, some good <laughs> story, really some good stories there. And uh, let's see. Film Movement also has some fun stuff. The Alain Corneau film Série Noire with Patrick DeWare, the late Patrick DeWare. Very sad. Uh, Peter Sellers in Mr. Topaz. Um, did you see this? Oh, yeah. You know, he directed ago. this. Yeah. He, this, is the, uh, it, this is a total, total bizarre lost Peter Sellers. Uh, I don't want to call it a masterpiece. It's eccentric. But he directed it. Probably Sellers should have directed it The 60s, more. I think, maybe. Uh, From what? Yeah, the early sixties, right? Uh, early sixty-one. Uh, yeah, 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 I thought so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Alistair Sim, who a lot of people will be watching as Scrooge, if you want to see him in drag, uh, you can see him in the Bells of Saint Trinian's. It's a, it's a pretty terrific performance. This is all film movement Blu-ray. Uh, a couple here that I want to uh, let's see: Claude Sauté and Romy Schneider. Uh, Cesar and Rosalie and uh, Les Choses de la Vie, wonderful double feature. Romy Schneider uh, talked to a German friend of ours who just started getting all all gooey over Romy Schneider. So she <laughs> definitely so still beautiful. has a uh, oh, so amazing. So Another Romy Schneider film, uh, L'important c'est d'aimer. The, the important thing is to love by Andrei Zolovsky, uh, also with Jacques Dutronc. And then these are the two the two film movement ones I want to talk a little bit about: The Killing Floor. Directed by Bill Duke. Oh, Bill! Did you ever see uh, The Killing I, Floor? I don't think I know this that is, one. Bill I Duke, d- is I didn't. Wonderful actor turned director, he's all the way back yeah. to Car Wash and everything else. Bill Duke directed this in 1984. I did not even know about this. This is like Bill Duke's version of Mate One. Oh wow! Yeah, this is his first film. This is his feature directing debut, and. Um, it's the uh, it's the it's about the story of 
an actual strike in the Chicago dockyards that uh, that was uh, the first attempt in the country, apparently, to build a mixed race union. Oh, wow. And and I was completely unaware of this film. Uh, it's from 1984. And uh, they clearly, you know, scraped some stuff together. But what a what a what a very, very impressive directing debut. Dennis Farina's in this. Moses oh. Gunn is in it. Uh, Alfred, Alfred Woodard here. Alfred I'm Woodard. I know. Wow. It's a it's a great little discovery from from film movement. Really worth checking that out. So so grab your your Bill Duke thing, and then lastly here the wonderful Gregory's Girl from Bill Forsyth. Who uh, you know why don't we why did, whatever happened to Bill Forsyth? Do we know? Good question. Good good question. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, shouldn't he still be around making masterpieces and stuff? You you oh man, it's so I don't know. It's so, it's so weird the way those things go down sometimes. I know. And then eighty one that movie, my God, that's that's forgotten how long ago that was, man. It's crazy, yeah, crazy. And then uh, from the Warner Archive collection, a whole bunch of great classics that are out this month that you should uh, definitely consider for somebody as a gift. Night of the Iguana is uh, is a lot of fun. Uh, produced by Ray Stark, directed by John Huston. Can't go wrong with uh, with that pairing. Uh, Attack of the Fifty Foot Woman. No, you know what? If you're going to be attacked by a fifty foot woman, she ought to look this good. <laughs> just saying if she were you know ugly and overweight and i'm, I'm trafficking in stereotypes i know it would uh, it would know. probably be more scary but uh, when she when she's an attractive 50 foot woman oh yeah, all right i'll i'll go ahead attack me particularly yeah what's that movie like that's like the late 50s or something like that it right? is yeah yeah that's fantastic bella lugosi in uh, mark of the vampire uh headlined by lionel barrymore but bella lugosi is the is the funniest thing in it actually what's interesting about this is that one of the supporting performers is gene herschelt for whom the academy's humanitarian award and honor mm-hmm. is named mm-hmm. uh frederick march in ruben mamoulian's amazing dr jekyll and mr hyde still to my mind the the quintessential telling of that tale uh, King Kong from Warner Archive, not the special edition that has been out previously, but it's got a lot of great special features on it. You can get this thing MOD, uh, and uh, it's you know still an absolutely superb film. Great commentary. All the does it uh, look good? The- does it look good? Uh, is it? Yeah, it looks it, it looks really action? good. Yeah, I wish they'd do this in 4K. I really do. I think it's I think it's ripe for 4K restoration. But still, this has the uh, seven part RKO documentary on the making of it, and it's got the uh, the commentaries and you know all the stuff that that uh, everybody's come to really love about it. Uh, Joanne Woodward and Rachel Rachel, uh, pretty great movie. Uh, you know, produced and directed by her husband uh, Paul Newman, and uh, pretty you know, I mean it. It was nominated for a ton of a uh, ton of awards and uh, deservedly so. Very, very uh, powerful film. Kind of made Joanne Woodward in many respects as a as a star. Mm. Raymond Massey uh, and uh, is Abraham Lincoln in Illinois. Not the greatest Abraham Lincoln film. I think Henry Fonda still kind of holds that down. Mm. Get that one on Criterion. But uh, yeah, it's just you know, it's a, it's it's an Abraham Lincoln, one of many Abraham Lincoln movies. The Frisco Kid with Gene Wilder and Harrison Ford. Yeah. What a weird, what a weird movie that is to look at it today. It is. Like I always forget, Gene Wilder and Harrison Ford made a movie together. This is weird to me, man. Yeah, I mean, in the like late seventies, <laughs> you know, I mean, what, that's, that's, you, know, I know. Yeah. you know, Robert Aldrich. It's just an odd, seriously odd movie, but nonetheless, it's 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 funny and it's quirky and um, yeah, there it is. Yeah. Um, Gene Wilder and Harrison Ford together again. 
uh, and uh, the adventures of Don Juan with Errol Flynn. So, uh, you know, a little swashbuckler. So a little bit of a uh, little something of everything there from the, uh, the uh, from all these various companies. You can some a lot of wonderful classics, uh, a lot of stuff really, really worth checking out. Tim, uh, we got some some other stuff here left. We've got well, uh, you want to do the Criterions and the Arrows? Let me grab those. Yeah, let's do some Criterion and some Arrow. Can't really go wrong. Yeah, uh, Arrow has a couple of things out for the season. They've got Audrey Rose, uh, which you know, one of the more Robert Wise kind of going back to the um, the genre well a little bit at this point in his career. As he was, you know, he was always kind of drawn to it. So Audrey Rose, um, you know, and not one of his best films, but it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a seminal film. Lots of interesting extras on here. Um, great new commentary, great uh, new interviews, and a lot of interesting extras. Um, Audrey Rose, one of the, you know, Marsh Mason and uh, Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins particularly good in it. And then also from Arrow is Gothic. Gothic Fantastico, which is four Italian tales of terror. Lady Morgan's Vengeance, the Blanchester Monster, or sorry, the Blancheville Monster, the Third Eye, and the Witch. Uh, all four totally unknown to me uh, until mm. this set came in. Um, I would not call them Giallo. I know that's not how Giallo is pronounced, mm. but they, they are definitely Italian. There's no doubt that they have that, that Italian Gothic uh, vibe to them. Tons of interesting extras on here. I want to say that Lady Morgan's Vengeance is maybe the most interesting of them. Um, but what it mostly does is these four films kind of crystallize a particular moment in a particular corner of Italian cinema, and then there's this additional um, eighty-page, you know, booklet that they include with the box set. It's, um, you know, if you're an Italian genre fan, it's a must-have. Yeah, Gordon Mitchell, you know, all those sort of uh, English actors, notwithstanding, Gordon Mitchell in particular, he has this face when people look him up. Look him, look up Gordon. You're gonna see that face, and it's, it, it, it was a very a particular face uh, that that uh, was in very popular in lots of horror movies across the fifties yeah. and sixties. He played that guy. He has this nose and these cheeks. Uh, very interesting. So um, let's start off with our with our uh, Criterion sets. Eve's Bayou by Casey Lemons. Oh yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. which, uh, you know, I'm glad that this has maintained its reputation over the years and that it's kind of ascendant again, uh, kind of, uh, it was sort of fell in the cracks back in 1997. I remember, you know, you and I both saw it way back when it was released. Yeah. 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 Casey, uh, writing there. And, and of course, you know, Samuel Ellick, and it gave us uh journey Smollett, uh, who of course is in the Lovecraft series and been on a bunch of things years and gave us Megan good. Uh, this movie. A lot of folks, Debbie Morgan um, uh, came out of this film. It was actually um, a, a, a very well-directed sort of gothic noir drama set in the South. Uh, and it was it was really, really good. Uh, uh, Vondi Curtis Hall, all kinds of neat people in that movie. And Vondi and, Vondi and Casey are married, we should point Vondi out. And Kurt, yeah, yeah, sure. Are, yeah. But, you know, Roger Guinevere Smith, all kinds of great folks in this movie. Came something of a classic in the black community. You talk about these by you. Talking about Gina's career, Casey's had kind of the same trajectory because Casey is suddenly back in in the uh, in the awards talk with I Want to Dance with Somebody, the uh, Whitney Houston biopic, which is out right now. But we have not seen that yet. I know it's yeah. screened a couple of times, but they didn't send they haven't sent us anything, have they? Yeah, I don't think any, they're going any, to. any sort of leak or a link or anything like that. And of course, Casey started as an actress. Uh, yeah, you know, she was she's in Silence of the Lambs and, and Candy and all kinds of neat stuff and. 
Uh, what did she have recently? Harriet. That was hers yeah. recently, the Harriet Tubman uh, biopic. Um, uh, so, yeah, uh, it, very, very, very sort of interesting trajectory on their careers coming from different angles, but nevertheless sort of making their way. Well, there's a new interview with Casey on here, uh, interview with Terrence Blanchard, uh, the composer. There uh, is a, a fascinating audio commentary with uh, with Casey and uh, her producer and her editor. Um, it's it, really kind of a good walk through the uh, making of the film and uh, a bunch of other fun extras. Also from Criterion, we have uh, a couple of films that, uh, well, Cure by Kiyoshi Kurosawa, a, a J, kind of one of the, a J horror film from 1997. I'm, I, I come and go on Kurosawa. This is the other Kurosawa. Mm. Did, did you see Cure? Way time. back then, sure, yeah. you know, um, uh, yeah, 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 part of that, it was a whole bunch of these movies way back then. Uh, I mean, he's kind of, cons- movies, yeah. yeah, leading into the, the, the grudge and, and Ringu and which was remade here as the ring and all that. I mean, Kurosawa is considered kind of the father of the, of the J horror genre. Um, I, I, but I really come and go and I cure is a film that I think I liked more at the time watching it again. It feels maybe I've just been too, too exposed to the genre, but, um, I don't know. It just, it feel, it, it, it doesn't date well for me. Nonetheless, Mm. A lot of people. Well, to be honest with you, I don't ever need to see audition again. For instance, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't ever need to. I didn't need to see it the first time. So you know, yeah, Tokyo Sonata is probably one that I could. Yeah, they all live in that that you know area. And then uh, we got one here that was uh, it was in our awards mix last year. This was getting a lot of votes. Didn't win anything. La Llorona, uh, Llorona spelled L L O R O N A, the Spanish way. By uh, Jairo Bustamante. Uh, this was a 2019 film made. I mean, I guess it was about two years ago that this was in our in our awards conversation. Um, mm. But uh, anyway, it is a a, a, a Latinx ghost story. It's folklore. It's Amer- it's, 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 yeah, it's Latin it's American folklore of this character. Mayan. My, you can even say Mayan folklore. Mayan feels. Okay. Yeah, I, I think it I think it gets really, really into, you know, a lot of Mayan stuff. I mean, it's 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 um, it's it's a Guatemalan film. Jairo Bustamante, uh, Bustamante is a Guatemalan filmmaker. and We don't see a lot of Guatemalan Mayan cinema. And you forget that there are, you know, these these indigenous communities there which are Mayan and they mm. may not be building temples and, you know, all the rest. But a lot of people can tend to think of the Mayans like the Incas or the Aztecs as an extinct people. Not yeah, true. They're, they're not. Are, no, they're, they're not. right there. <laughs> They're right there. Yeah. Um, yeah. How did you feel about this? Um, I, I, it, it's, 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 it's out of the, the, the Linda Cardellini and Raymond Cruz and Patricia Vacca is out of the range of the, these, these sort of stories that I usually sort of like go for, like, uh, I don't know, the Babadook or something like that. But I, but I appreciated how, how it really connected with the Latinx community. Uh, and they, and, and they really sort of appreciated it. It was a little, it was a little outside of my range. Uh, yeah. I think. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Uh, let's see here. A uh, few, you know, I'm going to want to make sure just g- give some gift options to as many uh, people oh, as yeah. possible. Uh, these, these are like uh, triple features and double features, uh, you know, bargain, bargain price. But, uh, you know, somebody out there might love these films. So from um, Paramount, they've got a double feature of Duplex with uh, Ben Stiller and Drew Barrymore and My Boss's Daughter with Ashton Kutcher and Tara Reid and Terrence Stamp. 
weird. I'm like, who says, hey, let's put Ashton Kutcher and Terrence Stamp in a movie together. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, that's there. Uh, she's all that, which I always had some fondness for. Rachel Lee Cook and Freddie Prince Jr. Paired up with uh, two other Freddie Prince Jr. movies, uh, Boys and Girls with Claire Forlani and uh, Down to You with Julia Stiles. All people who just aren't in the movies anymore. Yeah, Freddie. Freddie just Freddie just did a movie just recently. Uh, did he? Yeah, he just I forget what it was, but yeah, but gone for a long time, Freddie, uh, from the business, and then he came back and did something just recently. I can't remember what it is, but yeah, well, Christmas with you, Christmas with you. It's a Christmas movie. Ah, it's one. Right. It's one of those Christmas movies. He's out there doing his thing. Well, we've and then we've got a Glenn Ford triple feature. Glenn Ford, famous alumni of my high school, Santa Monica High School. I used to see his picture in the history building all the time. And then they tore the history building down. Oh. Uh, the uh, So they've got a uh, Critics' Choice collection from uh, Mill Creek of three Glenn Ford movies, Mr. Soft Touch, Affair in Trinidad, and Human Desire. Thought they, thought they're all really quite solid. I mean, you know, Glenn Ford was an actor ahead of his time, even before the Blackboard Jungle. And yeah. uh, that's the one most people tend to remi- remember him for. But also a triple feature, the American Frontier Trilogy. This is uh, from Lionsgate. This includes Sicario, Wind River, and Hell or High Water. That's a great trio. It is. That's a great trilogy. That really is. Uh, all of this is good, but Hell or High Water being the you know the the, yeah. the top film in that little group in there. And these are all from Taylor Sheridan, by the way, who everybody knows now is the guy of the Yellowstone in 1932 and 1880, whatever it was, 1889. You know, he's 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 like Taylor Sheridan is just the man now. It's so uh, weird Hel- that it used to be that that uh, you know artists would come up and they would uh, you know may perhaps do a little work in, in in TV in order to make them their bones as a as a feature film director. Now you be you make your bones as a feature film director so you can get yourself a television series. Isn't that and make, crazy? And, and make some real money. Uh, I, <laughs> I think that's so weird the way that has completely changed. In it's our time. flipped. It's totally flipped. Uh, and then a, a weird Martin Short double feature of Cross My Heart with uh, Annette O'Toole, speaking of people who were in the original Supergirl movie, mm-hmm. and uh, and with Danny Glover in Pure Luck. Boy, that's a, like, like really? Martin Short and Danny Glover? I mean, uh, like, yeah. I'm trying to figure, I'm trying to picture the casting conversation where, where that was, anyway. <gasps> Uh, yeah these these are the things that happen and it's funny you know you watch these movies and you start to see all the the names of all of these um uh old executives who aren't around anymore and you're like oh my gosh remember when that guy was like he was like the The top production executive he was the man at you know this studio and that studio what happened to them it's very depressing anyway uh and then you get a couple of george clooney movies which i think are both terrific leatherheads which he directed and the american uh, which he did not direct, but which I also think is is uh, is quite good. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the American has one of the all time great chase scenes in it. It really, I, I just yeah. think it's absolutely terrific. And Leatherheads yeah. is, you know, a comedy about the early days of football, which has John Krasinski in it as well. And I actually had had a fun time with that. So yeah, those are all discount. Uh, you can, you can buy any of those for, for a discount and, uh, make somebody happy, stick it in their, uh, stick it in their stocking or whatever. Uh, let's see what else we're, we're winding down here. Shall we talk about some of these new movies? Sure. Let's, let's, uh, you know, cause there they are. <laughs> these new movies. Let's do some of the new movies. Uh, we've got a faith-based thing, which is always good for the holiday season. Strong fathers, strong daughters. Hmm. It will offend absolutely nobody. Um, this is from the people at Pure Flix who uh, got in trouble at one point for uh, 
for uh, copyright infringement, uh, you know, making machines that would censor movies without the permission of the the copyright holders. But they're now doing what they should have done all along, which is making their own movies. Yeah. And uh, so this is uh, this is directed by a guy named David DeVos and uh, who also co-wrote it. And, um, you know, it is it is absolutely perfectly uh, relatively sweet and charming. Uh, so, you know, it's a nice little message about being a good father and good daughter and you know, it's a good thing for the holidays. Uh, speaking of George Clooney movies, George Clooney and Julia Roberts made a movie together again. Ticket oh, to Paradise. Yeah. Yeah. What you, did you see this? You know, um, I, I, I did not go see that. I was all set to go see it, missed it. And then it got really bad reviews. Uh, and, and, and that kind of, you know, put me off uh, because, you know, I guess we have so many movies to see that you yeah. have to make judgments about for, for, and I'm like, is this, if this movie is not going to be a part of award season, it, okay. and it sounds it, like it's not, it's so not, there you go. it's yeah. not, it's not in the mix, but it's not as bad as everybody said it was. And okay. this thing, by the way, very interesting. Cause I would have, you know, like, I mean, look, they have a history together. They're wonderful in the, uh, in the Soderbergh uh, oceans, 11, 12, 13 films, a lot yeah. of fun there, especially when, uh, with Julia Roberts, you know, riffing on on her her own image and pretending to be a facsimile of herself in that third one. I mean, it's a lot of a lot of fun stuff. So it's a great pairing. I like the two of them together on screen. Um, they're both getting a little bit older, and and so they're doing kind of a um, a, a Hepburn Tracy thing here a little wow. bit, uh, right? You know, they want to was uh, they they're they're divorced, but they had a daughter together, and they want to stop her from getting married to the wrong guy. But um, but um, it's you know. It's a rimshot yeah. setup and let them, you know, go at each other the way that Hepburn and Tracy would. Um, but you know what? I mean, look, is it thin? Absolutely. It's thin. It's thin as <laughs> rice paper. But are they fun together on screen? Absolutely. They're having a great time and you have a great time with them. The smart thing was they released this overseas theatrically and it made a killing. This made all its uh, money overseas. Okay. So we don't, you, you don't need to see this. You don't even need to buy this Blu-ray. You, this made its money already. So, so there it is, but it's, it's perfectly fine. And it's a, it's another sweet holiday confection. Yeah. Uh, life bark inspired by a true story with Kirk oh. Cameron. This is another, oh. uh, kind of faithy basty thing. Um, faith adjacent, I think is, is yeah. how these things are, are described. Uh, but you know what? It's, uh, it's, it, it's got a nice message. And uh, it's Kirk Cameron working with the Kendrick brothers who, you know, the uh, the faith based filmmakers who, who did Fireproof. And uh, it's it's you know, it's all about family and, and adoption and the strength of family bonds. And, it's, you know, good holiday heart warmer. Yeah. Yeah. Kirk keeps getting older, man. He used to cut that 52. out. He's 52. No. I'm like, dude, you're pissing me off. <laughs> uh, we're, we're getting down. We're getting down to the uh, the interesting stuff here. So Hawk for Jesus. Uh, with Regina Hall and Sterling Brown. Um, did you see it? I did. I, I thought uh, this was hilarious. It's, it's very, very funny. And some really committed, big time, just going to the wall performances on the part of Sterling. And particularly, uh, 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 it, it's just really, you know, basically, he's one of those preachers, one of those rhyming, fancy clothes wearing preachers in and, you know, and, mega and, church down south. And she's and the mega church is on the rocks. Wife. It's, 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 he did something and yeah. they're trying to try to have a comeback and there's another couple and it's really sort of has an interesting sort of commentary and thoughts about all of that uh but th- those performances sterling he really takes it to the wall uh in that thing i thought it was very very funny you, you know sterling is one of those actors who um he is incredibly adept as a dramatic actor but he can be funny as hell when he wants to be he can really kind of flip that switch 
And he flips it a lot here. And there yeah. are times when he flips it almost uncomfortably. I thought it was uh, very, very sharp. Yeah, very yeah. sharp. Um, another St. Louis boy. I always got to holler out, call out the same. Oh, nice. Uh, and then we've also got uh, Bros. As long as we're talking about movies that did not work, uh, this is a collector's edition of Bros. You know, which was supposed to be the the um, gay romantic comedy for people who aren't gay, and yeah. turned out to not even be a romantic comedy for people who are gay because yeah. nobody went nobody went to see this in theaters. <laughs> Billy uh, Eichner and, and and Nicholas, and yeah, and uh, in the, in the thing of it is, it just wasn't funny. <laughs> And that's all it is. It, it, you know, it has nothing to do with the gay. Thing. You, you can get plenty of that, but this is just not funny. And if you're not, if it's not funny, then it's just not funny. And that's all the hell there is to it. You know what else isn't funny is Owen Wilson in Secret Headquarters. Um, yeah. Man, did this just not work at all? So this, I thought this was going to be a lot of fun. I thought this was going to be, you know, Owen Wilson is a guy who gets a suit when a UFO crash lands and it turns him into Iron Man and he becomes a superhero and his kid admires him. That's about five minutes of this movie. The mm-hmm. rest of the movie is Owen Wilson gone somewhere as yeah. a superhero and the kids finding his secret headquarters, which gets raided by a bunch of government ex-government contractors. And the kids have to fight the contractors off until uh, dad arrives with his suit at the last minute. And then the suit's not working. Yeah. I don't know who thought that this was a good idea. I really don't. It's a mess, but it's new and it's out there. Buy it for someone you don't love. I felt bad for um, Michael Pena. Yeah. Because he is working his ass off in this movie. He plays the bad guy. And he's just working his butt off in this movie, trying to save it. And I don't know why why Henry Joost and Ariel Shulman, they're the, 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 what, the catfish uh, uh, team from way back in the day. Yeah. Back in the day. What, what, how, how do they, I, I really do not, Fine. I, I'm not making any sense out of these connections sometime between these, you know, the, know. the directors, the writers. What are they even over here for doing this movie? It makes no sense. No clue. No clue. Uh, Idris Elba in Beast, uh, basically fighting a lion, uh, kind of doing the same thing that Liam Neeson did with the wolf, was it? Yeah. yeah the wolf yeah, or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, defending his family, fighting a lion. Uh, you know, um, I guess it's fine. I mean, it's thin. Um, but you know, the, I mean, you know, it's Idris Elba. I mean, it's a preposterous premise, but you, you, you kind of buy it because it's Idris, I guess. Yeah. Do well, you? that's, you know, you don't actually, but, <laughs> but I appreciate it. The, uh, the, uh, effort, uh, but that's the problem is that I never <laughs> did buy it. I never, just never did buy it. You know, no, but yeah, that beast would have killed all that. That line would have just killed and eaten all of you. And that's all the hell would have happened there. A24, dude. <laughs> you know, yeah, gonna, I know. I, you know. I appreciate all of this. We're going to save the girls and, and all of this. And then it's one of those movies where there are too many moments where people just do stupid, stupid things that mean you ought to be eaten by a lion. You, you know, if, you, if you're going to if you're going to if we're going to be this dumb, then lion food is what you should be. And, yeah. uh, and, and, uh, there's a lot of that in this movie, you know, where you're practically throwing yourself into the lion's mouth. So I don't, you know, that's, I can't feel for you people. Well, uh, T West or Ty West, I forget how you actually supposed to pronounce yeah. it. Uh, who's been a long time, yeah. uh, kind of horror filmmaker on the, on the low end made a, made a hit, uh, low budget, uh, yeah. film with X yeah. and then followed it up with Pearl. 
And uh, <laughs> Mia Goth is pretty great in Pearl. I, I know she, her, 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 she's in the awards conversation lately. Uh, they're, they're marketing this two different, two different covers. Check this out, Tim. It's very interesting. Mm. Um, one is kind of cute and the other is savage. And I think that captures the film rather perfectly. Mia Goth is terrific in this. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of I spit on your grave, but it's, uh, you know, um, I, I think it's I think it's a fun follow up to X. and I think it's better than X. Did you see Pearl by chance? I I haven't seen Pearl. I've got it over there. I, I really deeply appreciated X, though. This um, is the or, it's a prequel. Actually, it's the origin yeah. story for story X for is the, what for it the is. Same, yeah. which is why it's the same form. Uh, they're out there. X, they're out the form. They're going to make this porno. And then there's this, this, yeah. this old couple. And, it's, and what I liked about X anyway is that it felt like it looked like it sounded like a movie that's made when it's set, which is like the what middle 70s, early 70s, middle 70s. Yeah, when it's set, yeah basically uh, or something like that. And it looked felt it like one of those movies that, I, that we would have watched way back then. So I, I thought that he actually pulled that off. I, I still got to check Pearl out and see how I feel about that. Uh, medieval is, uh, is is speaking of Matthew Good, who shows up in this again as well. Michael Caine is in this for about two seconds. So is Till Schweiger. Like everybody's in this. This is a big uh, international. This is the most expensive film ever made in the Czech Republic, but it's in English. Mm-hmm. And it's about sort of the guy who is the Czech, the in, in Czech history, the, this guy, he's like the equivalent of William Wallace combined with George's Patton combined with the incredible Hulk. He's like the, with with Napoleon times, I don't know, George Washington. He's like the ultimate, you know, <laughs> Czech, Czech homegrown uh, hero, medieval knight. Anyway. Uh, and that's all it is. You know, you're just, you're, you're, it's, it's, a it, it's set during a period when there's chaos in in the Roman empire over who's going to succeed and become emperor and all this stuff. Anyway. Um, so it's about this legendary, Czech warrior and and knight named Jan Zizka and played by Ben Foster. And um, you know what? It's it's look, it's got swords and guys with armor and horses and a lot of blood bloodletting, and that's mm. usually enough for me. I wonder how the people though in the in in in, in the, the Czech Republic, is that what we call it now? The Czech Republic? Yes, the Czech Republic. I, I, I wonder how I wonder how they feel about all these Englishmen and Americans and, I don't and, know. Yeah, I mean you got Ben, you got Michael Caine, you got uh, Matthew Good in this movie playing the heroes of well, their, you know, of their, their Bill Mosley. I wonder is they got to be like, hey, could you get a check guy? <laughs> maybe, <laughs> well, they maybe, wanted maybe to make sh- they wanted to make money. They wanted to make money anyway. Uh, the movie is Medieval with uh, Ben Foster. <gasps> yeah. Uh, here, here's one that I, I didn't didn't know about five twenty five seventy seven, uh, which you know if you're if you're familiar with the date, you you understand that that's tied to Star Wars. So this is a uh, this is a movie about a kid who loves science fiction and uh, who I felt so nerdy about this because this really ties. <laughs> I, like I related to this where he he like calls up the editor of the of uh, American Cinematographer magazine. And and somehow uses that to finagle his way to being able to come to Hollywood and uh, and and see Star Wars. Um, mm. And I'm like, I, I turn around here literally right now, Tim, I turn around and I see a stack of American cinematographers from 1980 <laughs> like that I bought that I can't get rid of. I'm like, oh, man, I am such a I'm such a geek. Anyway, um, yeah, there, there's a you know there's a fun uh, audio commentary on here with uh, Patrick Reed Johnson who wrote and directed this and uh, the Dragonheart. Uh, he wrote Dragonheart. 
Yeah, uh, and 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 Seth Gavin of uh, of the uh, AV Squad, and yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean this is this is a cute little uh, it's a it's a fun little nerd movie. It's a fun nerd. Just if you're if you're from our generation, you love all those sci-fi movies. You know everything from the era. You'll geek out on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Space Invaders. That was that was his too. Yes, it was. He's, he's one of our. He's 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 literally he's one of much us from our. He's one of us, like for real. Uh, you know, John Boyega has been getting a lot of uh, buzz for breaking uh, for best actor. Um, I think we both liked this, didn't we? Uh, oh, this yes. Where he plays yes, the Marine. Nicole. Nicole uh, yeah. Nicole Bahari and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was so good. You know, loosely based on a true story. About, a, about um, an ex-Marine, about an ex-Marine who who takes basically takes a bank hostage. But yeah. it's not because he's trying to rob the bank. It's because there's a he, he it's his last resort over his veterans benefits. And yeah. he just I mean, in a way, you could almost have made a black comedy like we've all been on hold forever with government agencies where you just go, I'm done. I'm going to go like if I can't get you on the phone, maybe I can get the cops to get you on the phone when I take over a bank. Yeah, it almost yeah. it's almost that, but it, but he's so good and he's such a desperate man and um, yeah yeah obviously suffering and it's over like I think I forget what it was it's something ridiculous he wanted like thirty bucks or three hundred bucks and you know it, 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 the entire event was over some ridiculously yeah. small amount of money relevant to a veterans benefit that he felt that he was due. It's one yeah. of those things. It's not yep. robbing the bank for 80 million bucks. You people are going to give me my $2. Yeah. And uh, it's one of those. Yeah, very sad and powerful. Uh, so the Silent Twins. My goodness, I didn't know this story. Uh, Letitia Wright and Tamara Lawrence play the the actual real-life twins, these, these, these um, twins who created their own language to communicate with each other. It's the most amazing story, and I'm kind of I'm kind of stunned that this is isn't you know uh, more in the conversation with I mean this did I mean Focus released it, and I'm mm. kind of amazed that this this didn't get any any better attention. But I mean it's really kind of an extraordinary story and um, some great performances in it. Why is this? I mean you you know it's based on a book. Yeah. Have you have you you have any thoughts as to why this movie just kind of got dumped? I don't know. It really is a question. It's, it's, it's these two little black girls, uh, but it's all in whales. All of this is where all of this actually happened. You know, these two little black girls. Yeah. Whales is based on this book. And uh, I thought it was, it, it was quite extraordinary. It's just an extraordinary story, uh, but it just did not seem to, uh, it didn't get much of a, 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 of a release at all, really. I mean, it was released, but it just did not become Barely. a part of the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Kate Hudson, Craig Robinson, and uh, Jun Jong Seo star in Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon, which is uh, uh, eccentric and um, fascinating and weird and interesting and everything you would expect from uh, Anna Lily uh, Am- Amarpour. I mean, yeah, pre- yeah, I was mispronounced her name. Who yeah. did that? Who did the who did that? Uh, that weird kind of vampire thing uh, a few years before. Um, yeah. You know, uh, Anna Lily Amirpour. Oh, yeah. yeah. What was it? A, 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 a girl, girl walks home alone at night or something. That's like the that. one. That's yeah. the one. That's right. Yeah. Um, who's a really, really stylish, you know, up and coming auteur. And uh, this is a, this is kind of this weird, eccentric noir and um 
It's, you know, about it's it's got a little bit of magic in it. It's got some crime. It's got Craig Robinson, you know, as comic relief. It's a little bit off kilter with the tone, um, but I guess people like that from her. I don't know. I'm, I'm mixed on it, but I kind of get what people like about it. Mm, yeah, yeah. It, it has a mood to it. It's sort of set in New Orleans and interesting, interesting stuff for Kate Hudson to do, too, I thought. Yeah. Uh, Mac and Rita. I cannot recommend this at all. Diane Keaton, Taylor Page, Elizabeth Lale. I can't. Rem- uh, this is this is like, let's take Diane Keaton and humiliate her by doing her low budget version of um, big, oh, except big in reverse. Of them, yeah. Instead of turning into a kid, she turns into an old lady. It's, you know, Taylor Page turns into Diane Keaton. It's not. But, they, but, they, but they're stuffing her in these little outfits and got her. Oh. Yeah, not, to teach yeah. you a lesson about how to treat the elderly. I yeah. just. Uh, not Taylor Page. Sorry, it's Elizabeth Lale. Elizabeth Lale. Taylor Page yeah. is, the, is her friend. Yes, is uh, plays her friend. Yeah, yeah, I just, I, I just didn't. Uh, I'm sorry. It just doesn't work at all. It's, it's really embarrassing for, uh, for Diane Keaton to do this. And uh, I don't know. I, you know, I mean, that like most of the jokes come from the, uh, like in, like in Big, the jokes are supposed to come from his friend the little kid and then uh tom hanks becomes you know a uh, grown up and uh, and then then there's like a there's a whole shtick that goes on there and he's a little kid in in a in a grown man's body here this is like you know taylor page and uh talking to her friend who's trying to be a young woman inside this old woman's body it's just it doesn't i don't know it it just doesn't it doesn't work at all nope. it's so nope. embarrassing but you know what we're going to mention it because it's new for the season. After laying on, what was it? Was it a sun? Was it a sun table? One of those sun uh, tanning tables, a tanning table. Yeah. And there were like, there were like three movies in which, in which these tanning tables, totally, you know, disparate movies, uh, made all things. And one of them was a time travel thing. And the other one was a change into a, into an old lady thing. <laughs> it was like, oh. just lay on a tanning bed. It was like three or four of those this past year. It's just the wackiest thing. Yeah, truly, un- truly unfortunate. Um, and then lastly, on the new movie front, Clerks 3. Uh, mm. This didn't need yeah. to be made, but no. I'm, I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to be kind. It's the holiday season. Look, if you love the first two Clerks films, I didn't think two needed to exist either. But if you, yeah. if you love, if you love them both and I, you, you will enjoy Clerks 3 and what it has to say about aging and mortality and all of that stuff. But that's really all it has to say. And, uh, you know what? I, I'm glad Kevin Smith lost all that weight, but he looks weird. Yeah, it's uh, it's look. Yeah, I don't. You I don't know, to, man. But yeah, of course. You know, but uh, but all of this. Look, Clerks '94, dude. That's almost that's almost 30 years ago. Uh, and they've been milking this. Jace, him, and Jason, and you know, and all the guy, everybody who's not dead, has been milking this for for you know almost 30 years. And frankly, the juice has been gone for a while now. Uh, I do like that that uh, Dante, you know Brian O'Halloran, you know he's 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 still hanging around. He's still in the movie. He's still the sort of central focus of things, which I think is sort of an interesting thing there. But that's really the the main thing about the movie that he's still there, just about thirty years later, uh, being a little bit rational about all the time that's gone by and how they probably should have done something with their lives. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, th- speaking, we, we spoke earlier about, uh, Rankin Bass, the holiday specials and, uh, you know what, uh, it's probably worth also then making mention of a great Rankin Bass film 
kind of the original Rankin Bass feature film that's uh, from Kino came out some time ago, but it's a great thing to recommend for the holidays. The Daydreamer, uh, which is the story of Hans Christian Andersen shot live action. I used to watch this uh, like two or three times a year when I was a kid. Anytime it would come on during a holiday. Um, Hans Christian Andersen is a kid who who has these animated he when he'll daydream or he'll fall asleep. He has these animated interactions with imaginary characters who eventually become his his fairy tales later on in life. So you have yeah. a Little Mermaid episode, you have a Thumbelina episode, and it's just an absolutely charming, uh, you know, little Taylor episode. And it's all done in that in that you know animated style that we got from the holiday specials. Yeah. Um, and the Gilford. voices. The voices. The voices are so good. The little Little Mermaid stuff. I mean, you have um, playing the Bankhead. You got ah, Tallulah Bankhead is so good as the as the witch, uh, the sea witch. It's yeah. just great. Victor Borga, Patty Duke, uh, Burl Lives. Uh, Fantastic. I, I guess Haley Neal, Haley Mills is the Little Mermaid. Yes. Uh, Terry Thomas is in there. Ray Bulger is in there. This is from Ed Scorpion Release. In there, it's ridiculous. It's fantastic. Scorpion releasing by way of Kino, uh, The Daydreamer uh, from uh, Arthur Rankin Jr. and uh, Jules Bass, uh, based on stories of Hans Christian Andersen. Really, really terrific. Uh, whole lot of fun. Whole lot of fun. Margaret Hamilton boards call off. I forgot about all these. I, I know it, it goes on and on and on. Right? It's amazing. <laughs> it's fantastic. Wow. Amazing. It's fantastic. Uh, let's start to kind of wrap this out here. Um, looking at a few other things. Let me do some, some of these animated things here. We've got, uh, some kid stuff. Lyle Lyle Crocodile. Now you saw this. I did. Uh, What'd you think? It's, 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 it's highly energetic, uh, particularly the stuff at the beginning of the film with Javier Bardem. He's singing and dancing. He's this, he's this, uh, impresario and he, and, he, he, and he's trying to get this gig and do this thing. And he has this apartment at the top of this building. And he finds this crocodile that can sing but not talk. Uh, you know, little baby crocodile. And we, we watch as we – that entire opening sequence is very good. And then we move into a different movie, a movie that has – because uh, Javier's character kind of goes away. This family moving into this building, into this apartment – where this crocodile, this singing crocodile lives, and it meets the little boy, and he has a mom, and you know, all this kind of stuff. And now we're in a different movie, and we're in this different movie for a long time, a less enjoyable movie. And then Javier's character comes back, and the movie gets good mm-hmm. again. Uh, that's, the way, that's the way I felt about this. We sort of moved through it. Well, we've also got Ainbo, the spirit of the Amazon, which is basically, um, gosh, we're not, I'm not really allowed to talk about Avatar The Way of Water yet. Yeah. So, uh, what do you think? I, I guess, see that I think Tuesday or Monday or Tuesday or something. Like I, I guess I guess I won't talk about it right now. I'm allowed <laughs> to social media about it, so I'm not going to say a thing about it. Yeah. But I will say something about Ainbo, Spirit of the Amazon, which in no way resembles anything to do <laughs> with uh, Avatar: The Way of Water. Uh, no, this is an okay. This is okay uh, animation. This is uh, from Shout and shout kids and uh you know it all takes place in uh, it's just it's this little girl who's trying to you know it's it's basically it's save the rainforest stuff mm-hmm. which you know uh we're gonna which we have a, a you know we, we can also talk about fern gully here which we we also have on blu-ray but mm-hmm. um yeah it's it's save the rainforest stuff and a nice animated film with some cute kids and it's all right it's fine it's uh you know, it, it it wants to be Disney. It's not quite Disney, but it has its moments and kids will have a good time with it. Uh, Pause of Fury, The Legend of Hank, 
is uh, is really all about. I mean, yes, it's it's sort of uh, Kung Fu Panda esque, mm. and it's got you know very derivative uh, character designs and all the rest. But it's really all about the uh, the voice casting. Gabriel yeah. Iglesias is hilarious. I could listen to Gabriel Iglesias until the end of time. George Takei, Ricky Gervais, mm. Michelle Yeoh, Sam Jackson, uh, and Michael Sarah. It's uh, it's all those voices. That's why you want to watch Pause of Fury, The Legend of Hank. Yeah, Bill Brooks. Yeah, yeah all that. Right. Yeah. Uh, I love Shaun the Sheep. My daughter loves Shaun the Sheep. Shaun the Sheep Farmageddon, the second Shaun the Sheep movie. Not quite as funny as the first one. Not quite there. All the characters are back. It's a it's a UFO alien invasion premise. It, uh, you know, it's, I mean, you know, hit and miss. But um, Shaun the Sheep is still good for a, for a, a laugh now and again. Um, that's on Blu-ray, as is Rumble, uh, which is not really my speed but i suspect there are some boys that'll probably enjoy rumble which is more kind of uh uh wrestling you know taken to the world of uh, anthropomorphic creatures and mm. you know all that stuff that tim can't stand but for <laughs> boys boys who want to see kind of a pro wrestling and monster themed uh animated film kind of a you know it, 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 it's very much riffs on the world wrestling federation so you have to kind of have some sort of familiarity with that but oh, otherwise yeah. you know rumble it's 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 cute Stephen a smith those are like uh you know the the uh sports caster or announcer i guess whatever he is he's this very recognizable voice and they will arnett terry crew yeah yes very tony, much so tony shalhoub tony danza it's, it's it's great voices and then we also have the 30th anniversary edition of fern gully which is almost exactly the same as Ainbow. Uh, Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest. A lot of people made fun of the, the first Avatar saying it's basically Fern Gully, which it was. <laughs> uh, and and I just want to say, I, I'm not allowed to say anything at all about Avatar, uh, The Way of Water. So I have absolutely no idea if <laughs> if it's anything at all like, you know, Fern Gully meets Moana. I have no idea. Be, I have no idea. Not. I have no idea if that's true. <gasps> oh, and even God. if I did, I wouldn't be able to say anything about it. So, Samantha Mathis, I forgot. She's one of the voices in friend, her and Christian yes. Slade and Robin Williams and all that. I forgot about Samantha Mathis. Hey Arnold, the movie is also out there for kids. Uh, never really got into the show, but I know kids love it. Arnold with the, one of many cartoon characters with a football shaped head in, a, in addition to Stewie on uh, Family Guy. I don't know where that trend started, but uh, it's creepy. Nonetheless, uh, Hey Arnold, the movie. From Nickelodeon and Paramount out on a Blu-ray and uh, some good, you know, voice casting there, including the late Paul Sorvino. Makes me very sad hearing that voice. I never understand how the uh, the decision is made to make a popular animated series into a feature film. Uh, And and, and plenty of them have worked and it's been just fine. Rugrats. But I just never, you know, why though? It's like, why? I don't know. Why make the kids pay 17 bucks to go see this? uh, Good point. weird to me good point and then uh, a couple of peanuts movies that you might want to pay attention to if you're a peanuts fan bon voyage charlie brown and race for your life charlie brown both on blu-ray uh from paramount you can get them as a manufacturer on demand they have um the uh, bon voyage charlie brown has a nice new featurette on it which is uh, which is sweet they look really good on blu-ray i'll Mm. I'll give them all the credit in the world for that and then uh, as long as we're on the subject of animation that you do not want to put in front of your kids, but maybe, uh, you know, maybe you want to check it out. Brad Pitt and Kim Basinger, along with Gabriel Byrne in Ralph Bakshi's Cool World, 
this is Shout Select Volume 138. And, uh, you know, Ralph Bakshi, of course, you know, Fritz the Cat and, uh, and uh, Heavy Metal and all that. One of, the, uh, avant, one of the really aggressive adult animators who really pushed the envelope back in the, in the 70s and 80s. Cool World was an, an interesting attempt at doing something mm. that uh, was very, it was sort of like a grown-up version of uh, uh, Roger Rabbit, right? Mm. And an early Brad Pitt effort. He's so young in this. It's so weird seeing him that young. 92, uh, man. What, yeah, uh, 92, I know. yeah, man. So, uh, but, it, it, but it's a, it, it, it does the same thing that Roger Rabbit did, I think, better and more broadly, which is it tries to do the live-action animated mix in a noir. And uh, if you are a Roger Rabbit fan, it's probably not a bad uh, double feature because back back she has a very different approach, obviously, than yeah. uh, than Rod, than, uh, than than Williams did in uh, in Roger Rabbit. But uh, you know what, Kim Basinger, pretty terrific in this as well. So Cool World from Shout uh, Select Volume One Thirty Eight. That's worth it too. Yeah. Um, all right, I guess we should uh, we should start wrapping up. Um, maybe I, you know what? I, one other, one last thing, Tim. I'm yeah. going to do one last thing. Yeah. Hang on. Uh, what did you do? I want. I want to make him. I want to, you know, a lot of Francois Ozon. We haven't. Oh, oh, yeah. We haven't. We haven't covered a lot of foreign language films in a long time. And I wanted to make uh, do a shout out to Francois Ozon because there are so many good Francois Ozon films that uh, that have come out recently. And um, we should. I, I we know should, I saw that uh, that his 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 remake or adaptation or whatever you want to call it of Peter von Kant uh recently so uh, so here here are the four here are the four recent ones. yeah i mean it's 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 hard to keep up with all of his good stuff but uh francois ozon one of the great french auteurs uh currently working and we've got four really good francois ozon films available one on dvd three on blu-ray that you should probably uh take a look at uh three of these are from music box one from kino but uh the one on dvd is by the grace of god mm. Uh, which I wish were actually on Blu-ray. Uh, this is a, a really kind of an extraordinary uh, story about um, uh, clerical abuse. Three men guarding the guarding a secret about clerical abuse, and it's still very very timely. Really powerful performances. Uh, Summer of '85 had some really great festival exposure. This is, you know, Ozone just makes so many diverse films. He makes yeah. just a wide, wide variety of films. Um, and uh, this is this is about kind of a, um, uh, you know, friendship during a particular time in a particular place. Mm. And um, and an, a very unusual um, love story in that particular time and place. And, uh, you know, these two young men and uh, and how their how their romance impacts them. Uh, you know, during this particular moment in in French history and uh, in in France, um, France with uh, Pierre Ninet and uh, Paula Beer, I think, is an amazing, amazing movie that didn't get oh, nearly yeah. enough attention. Uh, it takes place right after World War One in a German town, and um, it, it sort of captures the. A lot of what was happening in Germany at that particular point in time in the aftermath of the war, but it also, you know, it's, it transcends that. It's very much about um, about what was happening to Europe generally, and it's a beautiful, beautiful film. Should have gotten a lot more attention. And yeah, uh, 20, 20, 20, 20, 2014 film. 
Yeah. So not 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 terribly long ago. No. And but really a great movie. In what, what was that Ernst Lubitsch movie that? Uh, uh, Grand Illusion. Uh, oh, not Ernst bro- Lubitsch. Bro- 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 uh, broken Broken Lullaby. Yes, Broken uh, Lullaby. Yeah, Thank you. Yes, yeah, yeah. taken from uh, the chunk. Of, yeah. And then, and then, lastly, Francois Ozon and uh, directs Charlotte Rampling in Under the Sand, which is probably her best performance. It's one of his best films. Uh, this was an this was just an amazing movie when it was released in two thousand. It's now twenty two years old. Can't believe wow, it. Yeah. But uh, right, I mean, it's it's uh, this is an amazing movie about um, about you know this couple, and then um, one you know one day at the beach, she has a nap, and then she wakes up, and her husband's gone. Yeah. And there's no sign. There's no reason why he would be gone. There's no sign of anything that any foul play or anything. And it's a it won't be, it's this amazing psychological study of of this woman in this this moment of crisis. It's just really really superb. Uh, Charlotte yeah. Rampling never better than in Under the Sand. Oh yeah, she just sort of comes apart in that movie. It's beautiful. Oh, it's fantastic. So let's call it quits. There, uh, oh, wow. I might try to try to do one more before the uh, the year wraps out. But otherwise, Tim, uh, have you know? Uh, I'll, I'll hopefully try to see you in person before uh, before Christmas. But uh, you're headed back, right? Yeah, definitely gonna definitely gonna be in in, in, in St. Louis for Christmas. But you know, we got we got a while before Just then. And uh, and I don't know when are you are. I'm on the Christmas show. So I am not on until January again. Now until January again. So I'll be on. Yeah. So yeah, we'll, we'll 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 see each other before then. Awesome. All right. Well, then, uh, on behalf of all of us, we wish you all the very best. Have a wonderful, wonderful holiday season. And uh, if we don't get another show wedged in before the end of the year, we will see you in 2023. I still can't believe I'm saying that. <laughs> 2001 seems so yesterday. Oh, my gosh. All right. Turkey and some mistletoe Help to make the season bright Tiny little tots With their eyes all aglow Will find it hard to sleep tonight They know that Santa's on his way He's loaded lots of toys and goodies On his sleigh And every mother's child is gonna spy To see if reindeer really know how to fly So I'm offering this simple phrase To kids from one to ninety-two Though it's been said many times, many ways, Merry Christmas to you. Love and joy come to you, and to you your carol too, and God bless you and send you a happy new year. And God send you a hand.